What's up my fellow poker enthusiasts, it's Renee aka The Wacko here and together with my co-host Adam Carmichael we present to you the Mechanics of Poker podcast. In this podcast we deconstruct high stakes poker players figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. Over the years, me and Adam have gained a lot of experience in both reaching high-stakes poker ourselves and teaching other players to do the same. We have bundled all this knowledge together in our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker, which is the most complete poker coaching product on the market. If you want to have a chance to work with me and Adam so you can get unstuck and make more progress in your poker career, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com to apply. But without further ado, let's learn from another high stakes player's journey in today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. We are very excited to start chatting with today's guest. But before we introduce him, a quick announcement, because the long anticipated 2.0 update of our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker, is now available for application. Next to updating the original content, the monthly live Q&As and thriving Discord community, we have added over 12 hours of new content, which include a better understanding of GTO and how it translates to practice, the bluff and bluff catching system, and tools to analyze your game for leaks and variants, one-on-one coaching sessions to review if you are applying the knowledge correctly. We only have room for 10 students to join the first release of the program. So if you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com to apply and we will get back to you. Now, our guest for today, after our most popular episode with Mr. Munistar, we're returning to Russia to have a chat with high stakes poker player Viktor Inlight Kudinov. Victor is the fastest riser to high six poker we have had on so far, as it took him four years to get to 5k NL cash games, beating Tobias, aka Dutt, who needed five years to get there. Now, we are very curious to find out what made him get to high six that much faster than the other players we have had on. One thing he has in common with many of our previous guests is his background in competitive sports and gaming, starting at a young age with playing football, then transitioning into strategic computer games like Warcraft and Dota, and through cyber sports rolling into the world of poker. Now, it's not been without its ups and downs, and one of the main reasons he wanted to join the pod is for you guys to learn from his experience to increase your chances of becoming a successful poker player, but most importantly, help you to become a happier person. As always, we're joined by my co-host, Adam. Adam, I bet you think it's interesting to see that his main motivation to come on is to help our listeners become happier instead of richer. It's a beautiful motivation. And you think about it very often. We try to achieve personal success. We try to climb our own mountain to get to the top. And then when you get to the top of the mountain, a lot of successful people want to lean backwards, lead on a hand and help other people on their journey. So uh, it shows a lot where Victor's at in his current part of his life and he wants to help you 
the audience to be happier people. And along the way, you'll learn a lot of stuff to be successful as well. Hopefully we'll be able to unpack a lot of nuggets that you guys can use. But yeah, it's a really good motive to want to uh, help you guys to have happier, more successful lives. So again, really looking forward to it. And he's already shared some of his kind of trials and tribulations that he's faced throughout his poker career. I won't spoil those for the audience. We'll be diving into uh, him going broke, hitting rock bottom moments, and all the challenges he had to face to become the high stakes crusher that he is today. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode, I'm sure. But before we start, I would like to give a big shout out to GTO Wizard for sponsoring today's podcast. GTO Wizard has made studying poker accessible for everyone and in my opinion is the best place to go if you're serious about improving your poker game. Next to having access to all GTO solutions for every spot and having the ability to upload your hands and let Wizard find it for leaks, you get access to weekly coaching webinars in which various coaches, including myself, educate you on the most important spots to start crushing the game. Go over to gtowizard.com slash mechanics to get started and you will get 10% off on your first month. That is gtowizard.com slash mechanics. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Victor. Mr. Kudinov, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you for inviting. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I wanted to start off uh, at the beginning, which is starting to become a trend actually on this podcast, which is a background in competitive sports and gaming. Now, you mentioned that you started playing football already at a young age. Now, many people who are listening, me included, I've played football when I was at a young age. I've played video games. However, it was more of a fun activity than something that I was actually doing competitive. And I was wondering... What made you take sports and later video games so competitive? Yeah, I mean, I started to play football series uh, because of my coach. It was like a uh, pretty funny story because uh, we was just uh, friends who was playing uh, on football field uh, close to our school. We was playing every day and one day... One guy came to us and asked, uh, do we want to try to play professionally? Uh, some of us told yes, and uh, he made a uh, like, small team from us. He started to coach us, and then he uh, signed up uh, some, like, some sort of contract, or I don't know what uh, it was between them, but we started to play like uh, in a small team in, in our city. And uh, this guy, he was... Uh, I mean, he was like 40 years old, not 40, even 50 something. And he was an ex-professional player. He even played in uh, USSR team. Uh, so he started to teach us. And uh, also uh, I played much more than hours because I was pretty obsessed by the game. It was very interesting to me. So like my routine was I go to practice with team when I go home, I do something, and then I go to play with friends. Then friends going to home, and I just playing alone, trying to do some tricks or something like that. Uh, I I can't even say why I loved football that much, but I was just uh, obsessed for it. I was like, any time when I have some free time, when I don't don't need to do school things or something like that, I was playing football. 
All right. Mostly, so it was yeah. that it was mainly like the co a coach that kind of saw potential in you and your friends that kind of planted the idea in your head, like, hey guys, you could maybe do this professionally as well. Uh, you uh, also, mm -hmm. I think, biggest point for him was uh, like it was pretty bad and hard times in Russia, and uh, a lot of young people was uh, drinking, smoking, and doing uh, stuff like this. Uh, and he just wanted us to have a normal life, better life for us. I think it's like not about potential. He wanted to uh, give us a chance to be healthier, to be more successful because like uh, he suffered a lot of uh, people who are ruining their lives around. So like I think it was more mental side for him to try to make uh leave around him better okay that, that's very so, interesting so it was more like it, he also gave sort of a community service you could say to like try yes. to give kids a certain perspective or an option a career path that they could follow so they don't end up on the streets yes yes what well, did this coach is there if you think about back about this coach is there any specific teaching that stuck with you up until today uh, yes, that, that was like, uh, for example, in winter, it's like minus 20, minus 25 degree. We always had uh, outside uh, trains. So we was playing on the snow and stuff like that. And he always was like, uh, I don't know how to say it. Like we, we never got cold from that. It was pretty good for our health. And also he was... Um, uh, he never tried to hold players. Like uh, when I started to play a bit better than uh, our players in team, he told me a few options in our teams where I can go. Like he never tried to hold us uh, with him. He always was like, if you can go somewhere and it will be good for you, you can go. It uh, seems like a very good guy to, to have around. So he was clearly having your best interest in mind, not necessarily his best, best interest in terms of gathering good players around him. Yes, yes. He was like, uh, it's not only gosh, he was like guru for us. I don't know how to say it correctly. Yeah, yeah he, no, I understand. He always was like open for conversations. He always was uh, asking uh, about our mood, about our living about he always was telling us like even if you like football very much you need to think about school you need to teach well uh, learn well you don't need to ignore school because football is hard you might not get in professional teams and uh, you need to be educated so like he uh, he always put us uh, on first place personalities but it's, it seems like a great guy to 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 have around starting at a young age. You you mentioned you wasn't really sure why you liked football so much. I've heard that coaches say like some players are more a coach on the pitch. You know, they really think about the game strategically. But you also mentioned, you know, if you were by yourself, you would just be doing tricks and stuff. Do you think it was also like the strategic aspect of, of football that attracted you so much? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, it's a very complicated game, and uh, I liked uh, like trying to do something, uh, something hard in uh, football, like hard tricks, uh, 
hard shots. Uh, but it's not always working. But I practice it a lot to do something. It's like and did it's, you... mm-hmm. it's always interesting to me to make some goal and try to learn it and like uh, go fur- further and further in that. So you already had a, a sort of reflecting mentality then from that young age. What is something that the, that coach also taught you? Like, okay, you did well, but how can you improve? Was that something that you naturally had? Like, okay, I'm looking, I now made this goal or now made this trick, but how can I do it better next time? Was that something that this coach taught you or was it something that um, already came natural to you or maybe someone else? I think it was naturally in me and uh, I I can't even imagine from where I had it. Like, I had it uh, almost all of my life, maybe from some books, like our brain works like really strange. Like we can uh, learn something pretty long and uh, don't understand it well. But sometimes we can just see some words in book or some conversation in film and like some conversation in real life and uh, it will hit our heart and uh, like improve our way. So I can't remember from where I get it, but somehow I was just trying to improve. Yeah, it could be as easy as you watched a cartoon when you were little. You cannot remember it consciously, but unconsciously, you know, that made an impact on you. It was like, oh, so this is how you improve. You know, it's like what you yeah. said, the mind, the mind has a weird way. Everything you get in gets a place somewhere unconsciously or consciously. And yeah, that kind of forms your, your character. Yeah. But like also it didn't work for me everywhere. Like in school, uh, I was, I was improving only if it was interesting for me. So like uh, in some parts of my education, like if someone didn't inspire me, it was almost uh, unreal to me to improving in that because I easily get bored and I like, okay, it's boring. I don't want to do this. And it's like, it's super hard for me to doing something what I don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think many, many players can can relate to that right yeah. the the focus that we suddenly have for a video game or football or for poker it's completely different than the focus we had at school where they were just teaching us stuff that they thought we should learn but that wasn't necessarily we weren't necessarily intrigued by by the lesson so your teachers were not like your football coach that you were like oh wow i really look up to this guy this is something i can learn from those teachers yeah, you yeah. didn't have in your education yeah most of them wasn't like that yes like I I think only a teacher of history was like that and I liked history a lot and maybe uh, maybe literature but nothing more. So if you take something very serious did you then notice at some point that maybe the joy for football would become a little bit less if you were forced to play too much or you think your coach in this case also made sure that everyone had the right balance between improving but still having fun in the game yeah it's like in in everything it's uh, easy to burn out or to like get very close to you, to your cap cap of your skills and then you like uh, easily losing motivation because you think uh, it's super hard to go over over the cap and it's like you need to spend unrealistically a lot of time to get better and uh, 
it's most hard thing in uh, like in life i think to recognize can you do this or not but most of the time if you're still enjoying what you're doing you just you just keep going you don't stop on this line because you're like okay maybe it will work maybe not i will just go and I you also i guess in, enjoy you enjoy the challenge i assume as well yes yes of course so you went uh you then transitioned into video games correct mainly playing warcraft and dota you wrote down how did you get in touch with that when did you decide to move from the football pitch to indoors to play video games was it the minus 25 that you were like okay i'm tired of playing in minus 25 Uh, football weather let's play video games instead. uh, it was like uh there was in the time was pretty uh popular internet cafes on Russia mm-hmm. because uh, uh, like very low amount of people had a PC at home and the internet at home. Uh, and I started to missing school a lot with friends. We go to internet cafe, play Counter-Strike, uh, uh, Warcraft and other games. And uh, like this was period of my life when I didn't like at school at all. I started to missing uh, it really a lot. And I was just going to Internet Cafe because it's like uh, it's the uh, best place where you uh, can't get caught. Because if you go to play football somewhere, someone see you, they know what you're not sick or something like that, and you will have problems. So easiest way was go to Internet Cafe. And then I started to play uh, video games. And uh, uh, I like it Minecraft very much because it was very complex and hard game too and it was super competitive there was like big ladder and I started to play a lot of that and I I didn't was so pretty good in Warcraft I maybe was like in top thousand of ladder or something like that and uh, but still was interesting to play but then why my friends showed me Dota and I started to play this much more all right, all right. So, w- w- what was it about then the the strategic games like Dota and Warcraft that attracted you more? For example, you could have also played FIFA indoors, right? Stick with football. But what is it then about Warcraft and Dota that attracts you so much more than other type of games? I I think it's uh, because uh, it's more complicated. Like uh, it's clearly strategic games, and you need to think a lot about what you're doing. Uh, uh, like one friend of mine, he's uh, played Dota a lot and he's also a great chess player, Ian Nipomnishi. Uh, and he told what like this, there is a lot of similarities between Dota and chess. It was like even saying, but Dota is new chess. Uh, so yeah, I think it's like, it's interesting games to play. It's practice your brain. Like I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that when I played it that times. I was just playing because I having fun. But uh, when I watch on that from retrospective, I just thinking what I always was looking for something to keep my mind working. Because when I stopped to go to school and uh, also I like when I stopped to, to play football, I was drinking and like was living pretty bad uh, life, I can say. Uh, but 
from young age, I uh, was uh, reading a lot. So I was like, my mind was ready to new information. And uh, even when I was drinking and doing some uh, random stuff outside, it was trying to keep busy. Maybe because of that, I was attracted by computer games just to get something uh, hard for my mind, something yeah, interesting and, for my mind. And in, in, in our questionnaire before the pod, we always ask that question as well. How easy was school for you? And you... You wrote down very, very easy. So that was school was not an environment in which your brain got stimulated to learn. And therefore you looked for external things like football, like video games, uh, to to kind of find that challenge. So you could actually bother to try, basically. Yeah, I think uh, I was good like until like 13 years, I think, at school. I was uh, had very good so results there. But uh, then, like, I uh, had uh, a couple of tragedies in my life. My mother died, and, like, it was very hard times in Russia. Uh, so I was just, um, I was always, almost always in pretty bad mood. It was uh, hard times mentally for me. And uh, I just was looking for some place where I can be, like, not in life, like not here, something like that. I think it was main reason why I stopped to go to school because I didn't want to be somewhere where there's a lot of people and when uh, people forcing me to do what I don't want to do, uh, I was just trying to find like some sort of peace and silence for myself. Like, of course, I, I didn't recognize it then, but I just can say it back on the time when I watch it from now at that times. Yeah, so it's kind of like you go to this internet cafe, to this community there, and everyone is just focused on the gaming, and it's like a whole cyber world where you can just sort of forget about life yes. outside of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yes. Very interesting. You you mentioned that through the cyber world, so probably through these internet cafes, you also got into touch with poker. This is where you first got into touch with poker. Was it something, someone within the Dota environment or within the Warcraft environment that started to play poker and was like, hey, Victor, we should go play that game instead? Uh, no, it was like uh, uh, a lot of uh, games and uh, Dota, for example, was played on platform what called Garena. And uh, I think Pokil was just very pepper at the time. And in this Garena, you can uh, buy a premium account to get access to some semi-private lobby what uh, have less players and uh, work better. And uh, you can make this account by payment or by winning chips in poker for play money. So I was just uh, playing poker to get account. Mostly I was just like, I didn't really read rules almost. I just was uh, blind all in from several accounts somewhere I get enough balance and buy premium. It was like, it was my first uh, time i played poker uh but uh, also some yeah some players from internet cafe and from uh, dota community uh started to play poker and um, i just watch it at that like uh, in chance to get out from poor life and uh, like uh, russia and dota community had like a uh, few pretty good players like uh, antoha is uh, ex dota player he played oh. like 5k plus and like in that days it was like 
2013 or 2014, I think, there was already a bunch of players who played like up to NL1K. Yeah, but I, I first time I tried poker, I think in 2014 or something like that, I get uh, poker strategy $50, uh, played, won something, then lost it and uh, retired from poker again. Like I just played two days and then decided to keep uh, keep my Dota career. But like in Dota, it was a bit hard for me because I can't go to LAN events. I was like a couple of times I was winning with my team uh, slot on some event in Sweden or something like that, and I just can't go. They took uh, someone instead of me, they go to play there, they show okay results, uh, so some organization might even give them contract, but I like uh, there was pointless to hold me on the team most of the time. And like when I had this situation like two or three times, I was super stressed and uh, decided to what I should finish my career. And like I played very last uh, tournament, it was like pretty. Uh, big event star ladder back on the days it was a big event and we like we played in first division we lost there and i just queued dota and decided to try poker again i just uh, downloaded few poker books it was like i decided to play tournaments so I, I don't know why i just i didn't was in touch with any poker players so i decided what tournaments is like more competitive I downloaded a couple of books, like it was Jonathan Little, it was Harrington and something like that. And I just started to reading these books and make notes because like I had, uh, I think $80 or something like that to deposit. And I understood what I don't have a lot of chances. So I just started to studying before playing. Oh, that's very interesting because most people, you know, they just start playing up poker and they kind of learn from there. But you realized from straight away from the beginning, like, hmm, I need to be careful with this $80 that I have. I need to invest it well. So let me first study up on this game so I actually know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yes. Very, very, very responsible. Did you did you find any similarities between playing Warcraft, Dota, and poker? You mentioned that your friend who played chess, he called Dota like the new chess. Could you call poker uh, also like the new the new Dota, new Warcraft? Are there any similarities? Uh, yes, like it's it's both strategic game and uh, uh, I unlikely for me, I understood it pretty late. But uh, this game, have, both of these games have very hard mental state because like uh, you, you need to really be mentally prepared. It was, it was my biggest mistake by, by far in poker because I ignored mental side of poker for a long time. Like when I recognize it, what you need to work on your mental side, I even started to text my uh, friends from Dota, like, like it's, I have friends who playing in, played in Virtus Pro in one best of the headlines. And I started to text him like, bro, you need, you really need to psych, uh, you need to hire psychotherapists for your team. You need to work on that. Like you need to try this because uh, this like a very big similarity between these games because you, 
need to be in very, very good mental shape to have good results. I can imagine. And is it then mainly like, what is it that it's so challenging about? Like, I, I don't have any experience playing Dota Warcraft, but is it also like the variance side of it? Yes, there, there is some side of variance, of course. And like, uh, variance always uh, hit more uh, the more opportunities you have. And in Dota, you have a giant tree of opportunities and you have five players on your side and five players on our side. So like three is really big. And uh, there is just casual uh, variance like on some runes or some, some stuff like that critical damage and other stuff. But there is also like hidden variance what like some of your players might make mistake because of something or you can make mistake because of something. Like uh, um, you didn't watch Dota, but uh, like great example will be like last major tournament when one Chinese team who is like they're super top, they're very good, but on the grind finals, they just tilted. They just tilted and left the game what they can play more. And it's like it's showing what it's uh, mental state in uh, both uh, Dota and poker. It's like it can snowball you. It can like put you on more and more and more pressure. And you need to practice a lot to not fall under that. You mentioned like the variance of, for example, your teammate screwing up, right? So Dota, yeah. you said you play five against side, so it's clearly a team, a team, team effort. How was it for you switching from like a team sport with football, Dota, to something way more individual like poker? It was super good for me because my very last team was. Uh... It was three young guys. Like I was 24 then, and they was like 16, 17. And it was very hard to play with them because they was super young, super ambitious. Uh, they was like, there, there was a lot of absurd things there. Like Russian uh, Dota teams, it's super unprofessional in many aspects. Like, you know, it, Maybe some, maybe it will watch some people who understand uh, Dota. So I will say just I even played uh, one against one versus my teammate to decide who will play which position. It's like it's total absurd for professional team, but we had this because like this young guys was like talking too much. We we was talking too much shit to each other. There was like no supportive. Um, uh, side on our team like if we was losing game we was always uh, discussing who played bad whose mistakes was more and something like that it was never like okay guys we lost we need to practice we need to be better it's always like oh you fucking idiot you ruined our game and stuff like that so like in poker there is only one fucking idiot <laughs> so yeah okay yeah so so you you it's it's easier because if you screw up, you can just point at yourself. Uh, yeah. And I think what what it sounded like there, if someone screwed up, they like to point at other people. It also sounds like there was a lot of ego involved in this environment. Yes, of course. It's like, it's much, much harder. So did, did I mean, you have a lot of experience with that. What kind of qualities do you think Dota, playing Dota and Warcraft... Uh, made you develop that gave you an edge starting off in poker? Mm, I think uh, 
first of all, is discipline to practice and same thing a lot. Like in Dota, you're playing, like I was playing, in Dota, it's uh, more than 100 heroes. And some days I was like playing uh, just one hero straight every day, like 10 plus games. So, and it's like, it's very needed skill in poker to do same thing a lot. And also in Dota, if you're playing good, you need to, it's, uh, you can look at game, like it's very casual style. You can play Dota for fun. You can play semi-professional, you can play professional. Like there is uh, a lot of levels to dive deeper. And I think it's totally same in poker. Like you can just bum hunt, you can regvar, like a lot of uh, things to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So you can just like uh, put your opponent on the hand, you could put your opponent on the range. You can think like uh, a lot deeper in poker. And it's like, it's pretty similar to in Dota. Interesting. You also mentioned that uh, both in football and in video games, you looked for inspiring people. Eh? You had this inspiring coach. Was there any player specifically or someone who you started playing poker with that inspired you a lot? You mentioned, for example, Antoha maybe was an example of someone showing that you can be actually successful in poker. Mm, it's it's pretty funny because I remember like uh, uh, I started to found, to look for some teaching project in poker and baking. And there was like, uh, I invited to some team and there was like a guy with results. He like won 1.50K his career, uh, something like that. He was, so he was like actually winning like 20K yearly. Uh, and I was showing his results to my uh, girlfriend who is my wife and was telling like, look, yeah, I can make that much money if I will practice a lot. So it's funny what first what inspired me in poker was someone who was making money. But uh, now it was pretty fun. Like when I was in Cyprus uh, in Triton series and we was like, people was having fun from me because they play like Degenerate. Uh, and one guy told me like, look, uh, this guy, he's playing poker like he playing Dota. He totally don't give a fuck about anything. And it's, I think it's true. Like I'm not playing poker for money, but first thing what inspired me when I came to poker was someone making money. And it's like, it's pretty fun. Yeah, because also you mentioned in football already, your coach kind of installed this, right? That this could be a way out. So I think from a young age, growing up in Russia in the environment that you grew up, that was something that was planted in you to think about like, hey, think about safety. You need to think, think about a way that you can make money. You mentioned it were tough times. So it makes sense that you saw poker as an opportunity to make money. But when you started to make money, like the competitive gamer in you took over and was like, oh, how can I improve? What is the next level? What is the next level? And then you don't give a fuck about money anymore. Yeah, yeah something like that. Um, you started out, you said you started out playing MTTs because you thought, I think, I think you mentioned that you thought that there was more competitive why did you decide yeah. to play entities besides was that purely because that was your perception or was that that for example the examples that you had were playing tournaments as well no no i just i was just thinking it's more competitive and more interesting 
but it was it, it was big mistake. <laughs> yeah. So so it was interesting. Uh, what 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 made it so interesting, and why why was it a big mistake in hindsight? Uh, because cash is much better. <laughs> I, I mean, MTTs is fun to play. I still love to play MTTs. I still love to play live MTTs more than live cash, much more. But uh, an MTT, it's I think it's like more boring comparing to cash, and also. And also, I find out what it's less competitive, because on MTT you like you know, the only plus of MTT what you can win it in cash game you can you can't win you don't have end point and in tournament you have end point you win tournament over you good in cash game you don't have it but on the other side like cash and cash much more interesting because even like because it's deeper. You have more opportunities to move to do something. It's interesting because most probably, if I speak to a lot of MTT players, they actually call cash games boring, right? They say, "Ah, it's so static, blah blah blah." Uh, how do you like? Why do you? Because in, in in tournaments, there is a lot of interesting phases, right? You have different phases during the tournament. You have different strategies. Stacks get shorter. Then you have ICM, etc. So I think a lot of players would actually make the argument that MTTs or cash games is way less boring. But what makes cash less boring for you than tournaments? Yeah. It's, uh, it depends on how you watch. If you match like, which is like wider, MTTs is wider, a lot more, more spots. And, but uh, cash game is much deeper than MTTs mm -hmm. because you can like, you can think pretty deep. There is like uh, more trees what you can use. Uh, there is more sizings you can use, like uh, you can uh, have much more tricks in your pocket. And in MTTs, like if it go 20 or less big blinds deep, you like you can't go something crazy without burning your money. And it's like, uh, and also ICM, like a lot of shallow stacks, ICM, it's uh, things what... Um, handle you from doing something interesting you like yeah. you have just opportunity to play correct or burn money and in cash games when you play like 100 big blinds deep and you play free-handed or heads up so range is wide uh you can try to do some exploit things and even if it's uh, not very good it's hard to make super big regret if you're not going like totally out of line thing and it's like it's giving much more space to improve i think and then i guess also it has it has it has two sides right yeah like you said in icm you can either screw up or play correct whereas in the environment that you described like three on a big blinds cash you have actually an opportunity to do something very good Right. Whereas in ICM and in tournaments with shorter stacks, often you're a bit handcuffed and you're kind of restricted what you can do. Yeah, the guy goes all in and you can either make the correct play or make or make sort of a blunder by folding a certain hand that you should call, for example, or calling a certain hand that you should fold. But other than that, that's it. Right. You're yes. a bit, yeah, you're just a bit more handcuffed. So that's kind of what makes it a bit boring for you. Yeah, yeah. So you then uh, saw the light at some point after playing MTTs for two years, you switched into cash games. 
Any yeah. um, do you, do you recall any difficulties? Because I'm sure you, yeah, you adapted certain habits that worked well in MTTs. Were there certain things you had to unlearn when trying to play cash games? I, I can say like uh, maybe uh, I uh, I was pretty unlucky in uh, a lot of periods of my career. I had huge down swings, but I was very extremely lucky in uh, people around me. Like I switched to cash games because I uh, met one guy from Rostov who played poker, he played cash and uh, we like uh, hung out a few times uh, when he told me what he have uh, he uh, apartment rate what was uh, finishing rent and uh, we decided to live some time together. So he moved to my house and we played sitting to each other. He played cash. I was playing MTTs. Uh, and this guy was Stefan, actually. Like he played uh, NL 200 in that times. And every day he was telling me, dude, stop, stop, stop playing this fucking game. Go play cash. Like it's much better. It's much better. He was playing Snap, snap 200 on 88 that times. And like uh, he was forcing me to try to play cash. I played like a couple of sessions and I found what it is, it's interesting. So like he forced me to change discipline. Uh, then like second time when I get super lucky, I uh, go with friends to Cyprus. It was a gypsy team poker series like uh, made by Russian forum, poker forum. Uh, I played there some cash games. I played um, some tournaments there. And then uh, that time was going uh, the international, its biggest Dota tournament. Uh, so I uh, decided to take laptop and go watch uh, this tournament on uh, lobby, on big TV. And guys joined it to me. We started to have conversation. And this was like Invoker and one guy who was crushing Zoom, Zoom 500. And Invoker in that times he was like holding a lobby of 5K plus. And we where we started to hang out, and he, uh, I I back home. He invited me to play Dota. Uh, I joined party, and uh, Antoha joined our party, and I recognized what I know him for like seven years or something like that. So they uh, give me coaching. So like I was in that in that way, I was super lucky. There was just uh, most. Uh, most of the time, I had uh, some people who was always uh, ready to help me, to give me some explanation of what I'm, I can do. But uh, also, I think it's uh, pretty good to say, I was never uh, go over the trust on me. So I never was spamming like every hand I play. I never was like uh, trying to get a lot of attention from there. I was always trying to like, I think what I can do something in poker, like some strategy. I play a lot of hands doing this and I came to to them with like big text of my idea and examples. I never was just asking them to give me something. I was trying to uh, help me to find the way how to improve because it's like, it's uh, one of big problems with when you're communicating with people because some people just trying to uh, get a lot from you without putting their own work.
And it's like, I think it's a big mistake for both sides. And I think also, especially if you, like I usually say the, the quality of a coaching session, for example, if someone wants to do a coaching session with me, like the quality of how, how valuable that coaching session is going to be is depending on the questions that he's going to ask. And if you explain to, in this case, Antoa, Invoker, Stefan, which is quite an impressive lineup, uh, if you give yeah. them your thoughts, they can actually correct you at a very uh, important point in your thought process. It says, hey, this strategy works really well, only you're missing really one important thing. And then they can add so much value because you asked the right question, because you laid down your thoughts, right? So they cannot correct you on the play that you made, but on the underlying uh, thought process behind the, your actual strategy, which is going to be so much more valuable. Do you yeah. still remember like one big aha moment you had with either one of these three where you filled out the whole sheet like, hey guys, I'm approaching yeah. poker like this, this is my strategy. Do you recall one big aha moment where one of these three guys gave you feedback like, hey, if you want to progress to, to the high stakes and play with us, this is something that you have to correct? Uh, like one of these moments, I, I remember one super funny moment uh, when I was like falling asleep. It was like two hours in night. And Antoja started to call me at Skype. Uh, I took the call and he like instantly started screaming, call me, ah, you fucker, you, you think I didn't see this? And he showed me some hand what I played from uh, our player database who he was teaching. And it was like total random clicking by me. And he was talking, why you didn't show me that hand? You played this like super garbage. <laughs> and it was like super fine. <laughs> so he like found in, in our player's database hand playing by, by me super bad <laughs> and start like uh, treating me. But it was like, they had, I think like 15, maybe 20 players uh, coaching group. And uh, uh, they was, uh, I don't know, I still don't know if it was trolling or not, but they was telling what they trying to like uh, make from me Butler, who will play uh, in like lower stakes than, than there, uh, with players against who they play. Like, for example, like they play 5K plus with some guys and these guys playing 2K, 2K and I will like uh, play in 2K against these guys a lot, <laughs> something like that. But mm, they was understanding what I will anyway go to play like, like that mm, against anyone or something like that. Was there any uh, big contribution that you think you made to their game where there were there any times where you send it over this document with your with your thoughts that they were like hey this is actually very good and we're actually going to implement this in our own game as well yeah yeah there there was some like uh, good ideas but i bring it to them uh like some sorts of uh spam super small sizings uh something like that but on that days um i was just i i can't even remember what I was bringing to them because I was like thinking too much, I think. I was thinking too much about strategy and I wasn't thinking about mental side. So I like, I had a lot of uh, trying to play different styles. I was switching my strategy too often. Like I had even like period when I played in Zoom 200 with fall to free, but like 17 or something like that. 
I think not not seven, seventeen. Seven, one seventeen. Seven. Yes, one seven. Okay. Yes, and like, uh, and I was still like winning like twelve big blinds, red lines, something like that, and losing on blue line. So like had a lot of different strategies, and I think now I think uh, every strategy from that was uh, pretty bad. Almost every something was uh, a bit close to what Stefan doing now. <laughs> Could you maybe 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 give an example of something? You know, obviously, throughout my career, I've experimented with various things. A lot of things indeed didn't stick. Especially also, I think you started when you started. There were already solvers, or no? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it, it was solvers. I was working in that, but uh, I was uh, always thinking what exploit will work better before before the time when I start to be extremely paranoid what people will start to exploit me back. Okay, because yeah. because I remember, for example, I started playing way before solvers as well. So you were just trying out things. And then when solvers came out, it turned out certain things were indeed GTO. Yeah, they, you know, they, they were approved and certain things weren't. And as you mentioned, there were certain things that in hindsight were actually very good and certain majority of things weren't that good. What was one of these things that indeed you still do today or things that Stefan is doing today that you'd be like, hey, yes, we came up with that a long time ago. Yeah, I think one of these uh, things is like uh, adding to your bluff wrench uh, random and block your hands. It's like it's think what solvers also do. Like for big bluffs, you like with some frequency you have like hands what uh, don't have almost don't have equity have unblockers, and uh, it's uh, it's only not not only correct play because of solver. It's also good play from uh, like uh, image side because when people seeing what you bluffing uh, like totally random hand, they might. Uh, understand your range wrong in that spot at all and it's super good okay interesting so and like the reasons behind it were for example i might have done certain things in the past and then the solver also did it but i did it for wrong wrong reasons but i ended up making the right play was that the same in this case or you were consciously thinking about no i'm unblocking the folding range so you know this makes a good barrel even though i don't have equity because back in that time equity was like you know the standard I, I started to play like late, late enough to. I I always had some uh, solver practicing when I played. Like even when I started to introduce solvers was in already. So, uh, and I was uh, more first time. I was more focused on Flabzilla than solvers because I was telling this to everyone who I coach. What I still think what. Uh, you always need to start work with Flabzilla instead of solvers because when you put everything manually, you remember better. Your brain uh, like uh, more attracted to think what you do and you will use it more easier later. So you like always need to do as much manual process as you can. That's actually this, a very good solver. point. What 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 would be something that you were doing in Flopzilla? Uh, I was just uh, uh, doing a lot of uh, work to see how uh, how turn and river cards affects ranges uh, and how ranges work. And was it was like 
it helped me to understand some solar things like, uh, for example, uh, dong betting on uh, super blank uh, in like uh, like uh, something like ace uh, xx board. You play in check call, turn is deuce of, of suit, and solver starting to lead from big blind. And like uh, working with Flopzilla helped me to understood why it's happened. Just because uh, like uh, open razor can bet almost full range, you check call not full range, and on the black turn, your range of check calling is ahead of range of bet. And like uh, if I never used Flopzilla, it will be much harder for me to understand things like this, I think. Just because with Flopzilla, I was just, I do, I, I like, I did a lot there. I was uh, reviewing hands there. I was reviewing how range uh, play against range on different type of uh, textures. I, I don't remember where I found, but I had some like text file with uh, persons of how often uh, different board textures appears, something like that, like top 10, uh, of board textures. And I was just working with different ranges on the textures and uh, put it, uh, my tools on text file. And it uh, helped me a lot to understand how equity uh, changes on different runouts, on different situations, how it floats. Yeah, you, you became very range aware, it seems. And obviously if you're range aware, like the ranges and the equities, the equity distribution obviously is a big driver behind certain strategies, right? The range setup is in a certain way, like you ex yeah, like you explained on the ASAP board. Yeah, he see that range, check calling generates a certain advantage. Therefore, we don't have error, he can have error, and we dunk out. This is a consequence of understanding the mechanics behind it, where I think a lot of new school players who just try to copy the solver, they're not, they, they, they start with the end product whereas you start with the mechanics right you start in the beginning and that leads you to think like okay well if this is how the game works then the strategical consequence must be that we will have a dunk there whereas people who thought po or learned poker before that they might have thought, learned like yeah you always check towards the razor it's just a rule which works most of the yeah, time yeah. but then you know you, you you don't if you don't understand why we're checking towards the razor right which is because of the equities the, the range distributions you don't know when the exception will actually occur yeah, it's also like mm, what I wanted to say. Uh, I think it's much better to like spend 10 hours on one spot when spend 10 hours on 10 spots, like most of the time, just because uh, you need, uh, no, no, not you need, like I think it's much better to try and to understand what solver doing what he doing except of just uh, to remember uh, like what to do because if you're trying to understand what a uh, machine doing you will uh, play better in uh, spots what you never solved yeah because you're trying to learn for you're trying to learn why it's doing what it's doing and if you understand the mechanism behind that play you will also translate that knowledge into a future spot which which you haven't looked up but given the fact that you know the mechanics behind the game you you've studied in for example flop zero the the equity distribution on a board like this and you know what kind of strategical consequence an equity distribution like that will have yeah yeah very and also it's it mm -hmm. makes uh 
if you study like this, I think it makes poker more interesting. Because if you're just trying to remember something, um, it's not super cool. But if you're trying to understand something, it's like, uh, uh, I don't know the word, like you're just trying to watch on different sides. You, you put much more brain work to that. And it's like, uh, you can also have, uh, can have uh, uh, happy for, from yourself if you find correct answer. Because if you just remembering something, it's okay, okay, you did the work. But if you find the answer to question what you was looking for, you got your dopamine and you got happy because you think, okay, maybe I'm smart. Maybe I'm not an <clears throat> idiot. Like after watching on same like screen for like 15 hours and then you, oh yeah, now I understand what, what, it, what uh, solver wanna do this. And you start to feel your, yourself better. Yeah, and I think this approach also allows for more strategical creativity, right? Because if you understand why, then you also understand the why not. So you can actually adjust in various spots, which makes it very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if, you, if you're doing this, you can, like, I think, amplify is correct. But you can amplify how it will change if you are to do some locks, if you are to do some different ranges, something like that you will be like uh, easier to move. Like Stefan is pretty good example. He like, sometimes he can do something just because he wanna do it. Like he don't give a fuck. He, he pretty quickly recognize uh, words, words side of what he's doing. And if he understand what it's not, will be, it's not be terrible, he will try just because he curious to do it. And I think it's pretty good. Like I am most of the time I'm like doing the same. If I, if I wanna just try something, I can like spend a bit of time to understand what it can't be super bad. And if it's can't, I, okay, I can do some EV mistake, but I try and I will see result. And uh, it will, it can, can help me later. Like a friend of mine with who I, to work most of the time on theory, uh, he told funny thing like yeah. he told I can never station people on uh, big pots because I can just review your database and see their ranges. <laughs> because like if I want to call, I call. That's true. That that's usually how it goes. Hi guys, Renee aka The Wacko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement because we are currently open to receive 10 new players in our Mechanics of Poker coaching program. In our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. 
Our mindset and performance coach, Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt, and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? And will you take one of the 10 available seats? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and apply for the program. And maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. So you, you, you've, you've kind of walked through how you switch from empties to cash and how you kind of walked through, uh, yeah, basically your journey the, that was always very important that you had people around you, right? That that helped you yeah, in certain ways. That was a very, a very big contributor. Uh, Adam, I know you've been uh, silently waiting on the sideline. Uh, I think this is a, a habit of successful people or a pattern with successful people, right? That they that they don't try to do it alone. Yeah, I think it's a very uh, common trend we see where successful people very often find their way to be around the right people. And as Victor was speaking there, it's very often a very... Uh, um, good relationship for both ends where you're not just sponging off people you're actually contributing a lot when you were speaking there Victor I could tell the people who were around you were probably gaining as much as they were giving um, so even when you're maybe below somebody on your journey you still need to be contributing to uh, to their kind of their success over time so yeah I think you found the right people at the right time to encourage you to learn from and yeah it seems to be a very common thread line on our podcast that people who make the top often don't do it alone. They find the right people and that helps them a lot. So as I was hearing you were speaking there, Victor, I noticed a trend of you uh, seeking challenges that you want to do hard things. And what came across to me listening was that, that you like to pick your own challenges. So uh, for school, maybe not, you don't pick the kind of learner path, but for the games you're playing and poker, it was enjoyable for you because you seeked your own challenge and you, you basically directed where you were going. You mentioned that poker and games in particular keep your mind working. And if it's interesting and complicated, you find it challenge you find it rewarding. So for you, uh, when things are complicated, why do you feel like you like that? Because most people do the opposite. It's like, wow, that's complicated. Let me do the easy stuff. But for you, a lot of the things you were speaking about, you seek complication and trying to solve that. So why do you feel like that's enjoyable for you? Yeah, I think like it's uh, it's just always interesting to uh see how far you can go somewhere and also when you trying this a lot trying to find your your top uh you just <clears throat> starting to ignore like part of challenge you're just going to do something because you uh a lot of times try to hit your top like as i said i was practicing same hero a lot and dota 
uh, I was trying to practice same tricks a lot in uh, football. And uh, at the time when I started to play poker, I like, I don't even, uh, most of the time, I don't even think about challenges is like a challenge. I just uh, was doing this because it's interesting. Like, for example, I started to play cash, like probably in late 2016 and in 2017, there was a master's league on stars. It was like two limits, an L200 and an L2K. And uh, it was rec games only without rake with leaderboard. And uh, I didn't I didn't even waste the time to think, do I want to play it or not? I just uh, started to grind this every day. And I, I, I won smallest, small one, 200. And I was playing this just because it's interesting. And I I never made any public challenge because I think it's like uh, it. Uh, I don't need extra pressure for myself. So I was like always if I trying to do something, I maybe discuss this with friends, but I never trying to find something, some side bets or something to, I was understanding what I can improve my UV because of that. Like, for example, in 2020, I was thinking to challenge to play 1.5 million hands on 1K plus earlier. But I like, I decided what it will be a very bad idea to make public challenge. And also I failed. Like in September, I played uh, almost million hands, but I decided to stop challenge because I was too tired. So, so I can tell you're somebody who likes to follow your interests. And that very often leads you into challenges. You also described yourself in our questionnaire as a bit of a gambler at heart. So you've got someone who uh, your kind of character traits are generally going to lead you to take on a bit more risk than the average person, which brings us to the time when you were aggressively reg warrant 5Ks on a 70K role, which led you to go broke and have to rebuild your role. So could you tell us a bit about that period of time? What was your kind of thoughts going into uh, that shot ticket 5Ks when you started reg, reg war with uh, your 70K role? Yeah, it was like, uh, so I switched to cash games. I started to play from directly from NL200. I beat at uh, Zoom 200. I was playing like, uh, like first thing, like from what I need to start. It was uh, what I was fully in poker. I was playing uh, at least 10 hours daily. And uh, our time I spent to hand review or to educating. So like, you know, while my time I was uh, spending on poker, uh, it was like, I think it was at least uh, 250 hours every month at poker, something like that. So, and in that time I was uh, in group with uh, in Walker and Antoha in coaching group. I beat it in L200. Uh, I won this stars challenge. I started to play an L1K a bit. Uh, it was work well too. And I uh, uh, took third place in some live event in Sochi. It was CPT or something like that. Uh, small one, 1K by him. Uh, so I, it was first time when I get a decent role because before that I played uh, in a banking project and MTTs and like uh, 
I was spending all money to have better life because I had like I started in pretty bad uh, in in bad life. Uh, so I was spending all money, and it, it was first time when I ha had some role, and I just uh, I probably didn't understand how hard it will be to make it back. So I just uh, go. Uh, I try. I was. In, it was interesting to me to play 5K, and I just decided to take a shot. And I lost like a couple of binds there, not much, uh, but. Uh, uh, biggest problem in that was uh, what, uh, as I told, my mental part of poker was pretty weak. Like for pretty long of time, I was thinking what all what you need to do in poker is just play better. And if you will play very good, all will be fine. I was ignoring select always. I was playing too many hands hourly too. I was playing like a lot of time I played uh, four table Zoom 200 and three table Snap 200. So it's actually was like seven table in Zoom, uh, which is not very good too. And uh, so I I didn't even recognize how uh, crushed I felt when I uh, lo lost to, to these guys. And uh, then I go to EPT Barcelona. Uh, I played without ITM, I bubbled main event, so I just decided to play it on K without selling anything. Uh, uh, lost this, played series with zero ITM, came back and have like maybe a 50K roll or something like that. And when I got huge downswing on Zoom 500, like uh, it was like nearly 80 buyers under EV run, which is, I think it's like, it's not super rare for Zoom 500 because I never selected it. I like, if it run, I play. And uh, most of the time it was pretty bad, uh, Zoom 500. So big downswing there, I think it's pretty common, but I feel myself like pretty crushed in that period. Mm. So tell us through that period, you, how did you rebuild? So we, we've got from one stage to play 5Ks and shot taking. I'm guessing that was a very exciting time where you've been studying OTB and other players. You're probably thinking, right, this is it. This is the big break. I'm going to play amongst the big boys. And then not long after, you're grinding 500 zooms and, and you're losing 80 buy-ins and your role's just going down and down. So over a short span of time, we've gone from on top of the world, shot taking high stakes to, uh, wait a second, where, where do I build my role from? So talk us through that, that low point when you were 80 buy-ins below EV 500s. How would you rebuild yourself, your confidence, and what were some of the issues you were facing during that time? Yeah, I like uh, it was do I did it like step by step. Uh, first, I recognized what I need to stop play Zoom five hundred and go lower. When after that, at uh, I go to EPT Prague, I uh, this time I sell. Uh, sold uh, pieces for some tournaments. Uh, I played with zero ITM, and there was tournament like five you know, k buying, uh, uh, not EPT, but uh, yeah, EPT series. Made it was made by Party Poker, and uh, I was just uh, going with friends who is MTT Rex. Uh, we go to that. It was in in another casino. We go there. 
they see field and field like was super bad. It was like 80 or 90 players and like two recreationals and something like that. And my friend joked like, oh, it's like feels like you lo- like you love. You need to play this. And they give me free roll. Like uh, I played for their money for like 30% or something like that. I I finished at fifth, five or something like that. So got like 50K euro or something like that. Uh, uh, I put this money to my roll and uh, decided what I need to play fr- from someone's money. I took banking. Uh, it was like uh, January or something like that. And uh, until probably like until August, I was uh, going up and down. Like I some, sometimes I was winning something. I took this money for living. So I wasn't building bankroll. And also like I want something with split money. Then I go to Zoom. And I still playing like seven tables. So variance was like insane. I go up and down. It was fun because like I even uh, saw some conversations on uh, two plus two when where some people was uh, uh, thinking what I am semi fish and some other people was thinking what I am using LTA like because of my dejan strategy. Uh, so and uh, this time. It was like 2018. I first time recognized what I need to start work on my mental health. So I found psychotherapist and he told me what like uh, I was working with him a lot and we recognized what my uh, main problem was, what I'm playing and I almost don't have anything from that. Uh, just competition because I like I didn't bought myself a phone or something like that. I had like super old phone, and then like a friend of mine told me, "Dude, you winning money in poker, you making good money. Just okay. If you can buy, if you don't want to buy, I give you my phone." And like one of first things uh, what my therapist told me was you should go and buy something for yourself to feel happier, just to feel what you playing for something, not just for competition. And uh, also this period of time was uh, pretty hard because my wife was pregnant. We was waiting for a kid. Uh, and uh, I read it a lot of literature about uh, state of mind. Uh, and uh, from that time, I decided what I need to start to be more professional. I, I decided to took break for like one month I was just splitted it like 60% of time I was working on mental side, 40% of time I was working on theory. And uh, when I decided to start uh, to play Zoom 100, just to play a bit weaker field to just uh, feel myself better from like crushing people. Uh, I even wasn't sure what I will crush, but I, I mean, I was sure what I will crush, but uh, it still variants there, and uh, it from that point it uh, all worked well for me because I crushed Zoom 100 with like 14 BB, something like that. When I crushed uh, Zoom 500 for like one month, when I moved to finally I moved to regular tables and uh, uh, showed good results there. So like uh, I started to grind in. Uh, 
end of August 2018, after this break, after I fixed my mental problems. And I finished it that year at an L1K with shorting an L2K. I was still in banking, but I was in big plus. So I just decided to play until end of the year. And uh, after a split, I had like 50K plus bank or something like that. Like uh, in 2019, I, I had son already. I decided to just uh, be a bit more calm, to play a bit less, at least try play a bit less. I was, uh, and like, it was still good for me. Wow, I think like, I just, I just don't, don't sure how much I need to play because I like from that point, I can tell about all my career, but uh, maybe you have some questions, I don't know. Yes, it feels like a very interesting part of your career, which yeah. I want to just reflect on. So yeah, you're basically shot taking these 5Ks to begin with. And at that time you thought poker was just a strategy game, just play a good strategy and everything will work out. And as you ran into more problems, you had the self-awareness enough to realize, wait a second, my mental game isn't good enough. I'm playing too much volume. I'm, I've got leaks in my approach to poker, which is potentially holding me back. And what I really like about your story there is it sounds like you were able to problem solve it without the ego. Very often, like the ego gets involved and we kind of build a construct of why we're, we're better than this. We're a high stakes player. We shouldn't have to work through this. But it sounds like you just went back down to say playing 200 NL and kind of rebuilt. You, you saw some help in a psychologist to kind of get to the root of your problems. And you realize, wait a second, mental game is what I've not been working on. I've been doing all strategy and that's now my leak. So you said you went for a period of spending 60% of your time on your mental game. So yeah, I'd love to... Uh, uh, you have to share with us what you were doing during that time. So what were some of the things that you were working on in terms of your mental game? Yeah, at last, uh, I was reading books about psychology. I was working with psychotherapist. I started to meditate. And uh, yeah, I did a lot of this. And then I understood what, like, even uh, reading some not uh, focused on mental side literature, it's helping to you to just uh, watch wider on different things. Like as I as I told, like like when we was talking about MTT and cash games, I was talking about like MTT is wider, cash is deeper, but uh, you need to watch both deep and wide. You like you need to not if you are super focused, it might sometimes be too hard to not uh, start making mistakes in our sides. So I just decided I was just reading like a lot about how brain works, uh, uh, how to fix this. Then I started just to read random literature just to put some food for my brain, which is not poker, poker oriented. So yeah, it sounds like you had to go from a bit of a gamer, maybe an amateur semi-professional attitude to treating poker more professionally. And you were learning about the brain. You started to uh, meditate more and to get a bit more calmness. I'm interested to hear how that impacted your poker career. What are some of the changes you noticed during that time when you were becoming more professional and you were working on your mindset? How did that transition into your game? Yeah, I mean, it, it helped me a lot. It helped me to uh, recognize what helped me in poker because like there's a lot types of uh, inner motivation what uh, helps poker players like some players play to protect themselves to like better for better life to get money some players uh, love challenges some players uh, 
played because they um, they want to not like be famous just to uh, show people how good they are in something and like my motivator like my most motivator was uh, inner anger i was like uh, trying to crush every enemy i mean i was like i am still i still love this it's it's pretty fun about high stakes because a lot of a lot of players have like same driver i think a lot of players like when we in same table we are enemies and we are like can be friends in real life like with stefan for example we have like huge trash talks while we're playing we hate each other in tables but we are friends still friends and like it's same story with uh, some other players so it sounds like you did some reflecting and you understood yourself better and you become yes. more aware of what's driving you. And yeah, I think it's very common for high stakes players often differ from the rest of the poker world where a lot of players want to uh, make money, have success outwardly to their peer groups. And then when you get to a certain level, like yourself playing the very high stakes, very often just being the best, being the best version of yourself and challenge yourself against really tough competition and seeing who comes out on top. And I love that about poker and about sport where you can be very strong rivals in the context of poker, trash talking each other, wanting to beat each other. But outside of poker, there's a mutual respect because you're very similar personalities who want to win, you want to get better. But in terms of a sport environment or a poker environment, you guys clash and you want to almost kill each other at the poker tables, but it's in a healthy way. So uh, I like that. I feel like it's a, it's good for yourself to have understood what your driver was. And once you've got clarity on that, very often the path becomes a lot easier in terms of what you're trying to achieve. So what were some of the changes you made during that time? So I know leads that point, you were playing a lot of volume. You were seeing a psychologist who was highlighting this fact for you. How did you differ your approach to poker after finding out what your inner motivation was? Yeah, it just, just naturally uh, helped me to better understand my weaker and my better side sides like uh, i was uh, in the start of this uh, journey i was trying to play less volume to like i was even starting to try to bump hunt i was trying to skip regulars but then i understand but like uh, big volume and uh, uh, a lot of time playing and playing in tough lineups it thinks what uh, it's my best sides. It thinks what I'm doing well. Like I never had a super big win rate. Like in 2019, when I fixed my problems, I had pretty big period of time when I had like eight or nine, nine BB per hundred. But it was time when I was um, more, uh, I had nearly 50-50 of educating and playing. But uh, most of the time, I was just, I, I feel this time it was just uh, preparing to uh, reflect more and to start grind again. Like I was still 100%, almost 100% in poker, uh, but I was like, uh, I was preparing myself to hard times. So I, I will be more familiar when it happened. And also in uh, that time I was, it was fun because I have the good results in 2019, it was like one of years where I almost didn't have any big downswings. Uh, it was like pretty uh, good graph. 
but I was extremely paranoid what people start to uh, exploit me because I was I winning I was winning red line. I was st big station, a bit too much needed. I had to light preflop. And I decided what I need to uh, rebuild my strategy. And also, I was um, understanding what I uh, want to grind a lot. And uh, so I wanted to build strategy what I can uh, be sure what it's working. So because when you're playing like total exploit, you need to be super confident or you will like uh, feel yourself very bad in, in hard times because you will think that you're making too many mistakes and you will need to make a lot of uh, job in, in your own hand review to understand what you played well or not. And you will like steal this time uh, from uh, an hour opportunities to education. Uh, so I decided to make like challenge and uh, wall to almost wall 2019 i was just uh, rebuilding strategy like at summer i think i played like 60 or 70 hours for three months and spent on education 500 hours or something like that wow. yes and wow. uh, like and then next year was as i told uh, i played like uh, almost million hands on an l1k plus it was 2020 uh, and uh, like think what I must say, we we, tell, we was uh, talking about people who told me like Stefan and Walker and Toha, but my main supporter was my wife because we had child this time and she's doing every routine for me because like as I told previously, it's super hard for me to doing something what I don't like. So like, uh, and she doing everything in that side. Like she's she's super. I love her very much. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's so good to have a wife who supports you in that way. And obviously, she's got the child to look after whilst you're playing poker and to be there for you to uh, make your life easy so that you can do the things that you're interested in, which is learning poker at a high level. So it was amazing to have that support at home. And I know a lot of people would gain a lot of benefit from that. What I really found interesting from you speaking there was you had a strategy that was working. So you were going for a very exploitative style of play, but you already started to realize if you kept going down that route, at some point you'd get re-exploited. And this got you a little bit paranoid, you could say, but at the same time, it got you to go deeper into thinking, how can I rebuild my strategy? And it, as you were speaking, it reminds me of a Tiger Woods when he was the world number one golfer. And he was by far the best player in the world. And he decided to do something very counterintuitive that he would completely redesign his tee-off. He would completely redesign it. And people were like, you're the best in the world. What are you doing? Like your, your tee-off's really good. Like you don't need to start your drive, learn to drive again. But he realized that in the future, he needed to be able to hit the ball further off the tee and other players were going to be able to do that. So uh, he spent months and months rebuilding his swing whilst being the number one player in the world. So for you, you were rebuilding strategy in advance because you thought that other players would catch up or exploit you based on your, your style. So yeah, I think that's a really high level way of thinking. You're almost thinking moves ahead in the chessboard kind of analogy. And yeah, it shows like the kind of high level thinker you are. And you said you were spending like 500 hours on rebuilding strategy compared to playing. So yeah, really, really uh, amazing to hear that. And then it sounds like that set you up for 2020, which is what I really want to dive into. So 2020, as you've told us, was the year you played a million, a million hands yeah. at 1K plus. Now, this came with a consequence and you've described this in your questionnaire as a rock bottom moment where you hit a burnout. So first of all, talk us through uh, 
this kind of year overall, like playing this much volume? And how did you set out your days and weeks to uh, implement and to execute on a, a million hounds over the course of that year? Yeah, it was like, uh, it's, I can like say it is one day. I was waking up playing, uh, I got coffee, some small breakfast, uh, playing for like uh, four hours or something like that, that small session. When I sometimes watch one series of something with my wife, spend some time with my child, and uh, when play like uh, eight to 10 hour session. Like, uh, so I was playing every day, like at least uh, 10 hours. I had one, one break for like uh, something like 10 days or something like that, but I played without weekends. I was playing every day, uh, playing 10 hours plus. Uh, I was uh, reviewing hands mostly when I trying to fall asleep just because after such sessions, my brain was too hard to get asleep fast. So I was just uh, watching on phone hands what someone sent me, watching hands what uh, I marked. Uh, and I was just playing, playing and playing. And uh, at some point, uh, I understand what I just uh, tired too much. I, I wasn't... I wasn't completely burned out, maybe, but I was understanding what uh, it's not public challenge. It's no pressure on me. Uh, oh, and also it's like fun, what I ignore it again. Uh, I had uh, like four, four months in a row, I had uh, pain in my neck. What uh, like I wake up with pain on my neck and it's going up and up and uh, like in two hours, uh, I start to have uh, pain in my head, but I was just uh, use uh, some tablets, like uh, what, um, uh, I don't know how to say, like uh, against headache. So I didn't like, I ignored the uh, pain for like almost half year. I just didn't do anything about that when I, like when I recognize what it's super stupid, but uh, I go to doctors only after half year, I think. And uh, it was like, in the end, uh, I was I was in three doctors. I moved to three doctors in my hometown. I did MRT and finished it uh, in full checkup at Moscow. And uh, it, they find out what I have something like called musket depression or something like that. It's like, it's depression, but you don't feel yourself upset. You just have a physical pain, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. It's always the body's crying out for you to change your ways and you're taking painkillers yeah. and headache tablets to relieve it and pushing through. So uh, yeah, I want to understand what your mindset was this year because it found, sounds like you were a bit obsessed. You're playing 10 hours a day, playing weekends, why were you so driven this year? What were you trying to achieve in 2020 that made you uh, almost ignore signs of pain and just play, play, play through any? Yeah, well, one of my, it was like a different type of goals. First one, this was like trying to find the cap of what I can do, like try to find my limits. Uh, second was uh, one was uh, what we, 
decided to stay in Russia. We was like thinking to move somewhere, but then we decided what we love our hometown. So I decided to build house of my dream, <laughs> which is now <laughs> sounds like big mistake in situation what happens in the world now. Uh, but we decided to do that. So I played like for myself, for like fun and find my limits and for uh, building house of my dream. And also like, uh, uh, it's like funny to say, like, I think I'm gambler, but I'm, I'm gambler, but like, I like to think a lot about what I do and why I do this. So a big part of this challenge what was I was understanding what if I want to build house of my dream and go up or on limits, I need to win a lot because I don't want to stuck and at an L like 5k and lower uh, to grind uh, and uh, to have just good life and be, uh, build house. I wanted to uh, be ready to play with anyone in higher stakes. So I understand what I need to be role for that. And it was like one of drivers too. And maybe it was one of reasons why I born, burn out uh, before this, because I had like uh, in that time was running some big games like 40k, 100k, 200k, and uh, I finished this year. I played million hands with like uh, five something EVBB and uh, 3.9 real BB, uh, real hundred percent, percent, one and uh, it ended up like I had nearly a million under EV. And it was also like big pressure because I understood what I'm, I can't play wall carrier like that, like 24 uh, seven. So it was like uh, putting extra pressure on me also. Maybe it, uh, it was one of things what uh, burned out me faster. I, I didn't feel like, oh, I'm so unlucky or something like that. I was just uh, understanding what uh, it uh, took some opportunities from me, mm, yeah. but like, it's okay. Mm. So it sounds like you took on this challenge very consciously. You had a very clear objective, which was first of all, to find your limits, find what your cap of your potential is and where you could go in poker. And then you had building your dream house. So with these two things fueling you, you just wanted to play all hours of the day. Every hour available, you wanted to put volume in. So uh, as we can, we're going to talk about in a second, this led to you hitting a burnout moment. And you talked about in 2021, so the year following this million hands that you played, you had a bad start of the year. January to May, you said you lost 500k. And this yeah, basically came as a consequence of potentially grinding too much. So talk us through like how you were... Uh, we're first of all getting through that time. So say 2021, when you went on this downswing, were you still playing at the same kind of volume? Or and how were you pushing through this kind of turbulent time? Yeah, it was it was a bit fun. Like uh I, at 2020, like at September, I feel like I almost burn out. Uh so I like I play in class until November. When uh, November to December, I played a lot again and back my passion to the game and decided from 2021 to play less, start to learn crypto, uh, start to put more time with my family uh, and uh, then started huge downswing and some like 
pretty, I think it was like pretty big amount of this year when I playing same or more than previous year. So like plan plan was to play less, but when I was on downswing, I just decided, okay, fuck, I need to crush them. It was like, it's clear, clearly it was most uh, more ego thing. I just, uh, I was feeling what I want to calm a bit, but I can't calm when I'm uh, not on peak, like, uh, because I still was super competitive. Like, I'm still super competitive. I just want to play. Yeah, so it sounds like when your back's against the wall, things aren't going well for you, you double down. You want to work harder. You want to get yourself out of that situation. And for you, that means, yeah, grinding a lot of hours. You said before that one of your strengths is playing high volume in tough lineups. And very often when life gets tough, we revert to our strengths. What am I good at? How do I get myself out of this? And yeah, it sounds like for you, that led you to play a lot more volume than you planned on playing in 2021, which at first had a bit of a downside. You definitely had a tough uh, five months, January to May, but then you managed to get it all back. All right, so you get it all back. So tell me through that time and what changed when you started to go on that kind of upswing? Was it just variance or did you make any changes when you went back on that upswing to regain uh, that? It one? was like, well, this year it was just pure swing. Yeah. I lost a lot because it was huge downswing when I won a lot because it was upswing. And it was like, uh, mm, it's funny thing because uh, like a lot of discussions on like who is best player, who is good, who is bad. And like, maybe it's like my PTSD or something like that. But I always telling what you can't uh, say anything about someone's game if you never saw him in huge downswing. Because like anyone can play good when he run good. I mean, not, not just on run when like he run correctly to EV. It's uh, it's much easier when you have like super swing uh, periods, yeah. So I just I, I had uh, good upswing in wall summer and uh, this summer was super dry. There was almost like I think eighty or ninety percent of reg wars or something like that. I just I just uh, win a lot from them, and it's okay. And uh, like. After I did this, I decided to put more time on crypto and uh, put more time on traveling. I go to Vegas, play a couple of events there, go to Disneyland with family. I played uh, some big events on Cyprus. It was super high roller ball, I think. So I just, uh, uh, from after I reached my peak of uh, bankroll and uh, uh, of my self-confidence. I talk it with few friends uh, and uh, like all of us, we think what poker now, it's like on state where you can took pretty long break and then you need just like months or something like that to get uh, in good form again, if you are good now, because game is like, it's not solved, but it's not uh, changing very uh, hard. It's like only small changes, only small uh, new things. So from like uh, end of September, oh, it's like even, it was from start of September to May, I almost didn't play any hand. I was, I was still doing some reviews, just because it was interesting to see what guys doing when I'm not playing. <laughs> just, uh, like I, I was 
it was funny. I was like watching some hands uh, from uh, our games, like watch streams of friends. And I was waiting like, okay, maybe they show some new tricks. So I will be like, oh, fuck, I need to go back to poker faster. So I will be not like uh, super far behind. But nothing like that happened. Likely for me. What I found interesting about your story there is as you said, like you find a lot about poker players in terms of who's a very good player in terms of how they deal with downswings and how they respond, how they how the game responds to that and also how they show up during those times. For you, it sounds like you really doubled down on playing and studying whilst you were in the kind of peak downswing. And then you got out of that downswing. And it's very interesting that at that kind of peak moments, say financially or coming out of the, the, the bad patch, then you started to get a bit tired and bored with poker. And I feel like for you, you're, the way you've spoken to us today, it sounds like you don't like doing things unless you're interested, unless you're curious. So for you, when you decide to take a step back from poker, it sounds like you spoke with some friends to make sure like, all right, am I making the right decision? Is this suicide or am I going to be okay? So tell me for like how you felt removing yourself from poker. Because as you've talked to us today, you're someone who wants to be the best. You pride yourself on being like at the high, high level. So when you took a step back from poker through being tired and burnt out, how, how would you deal with that mentally in terms of filling the void that poker had for you? It's, uh, I, I was just pretty curious by crypto. It was pretty interesting. I started to dive deep a lot. I was like, I read it, uh, everything that I could, could found. I found groups of people who work in there. Uh, so yeah, I just found another thing to be obsessed of. But uh, in the end, like why back to poker? It's because... Uh, after like half year on crypto, I understood what it's uh, it's good thing to make money. It's a good thing to improve our world, but it's not interesting. Like at least for my 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 mindset, it's not very interesting. So I probably will like in state of market land to like now I will a bit focus it on poker. When I will maybe like mix it. And some periods I will work only on crypto, I think, but probably I will just, uh, for my leaf, I will play poker or do something like that because crypto is like, it's more like job. It's, there is some interesting things. Uh, and also you need to be in to don't miss something big and interesting. Maybe, maybe crypto will change and some new things appear that will be interesting too. But for now, it's like a bit boring. And poker uh, is not getting boring. Like, like I wasn't right on it. It's, it's super new level. It's like very interesting to be there. Even if you're tired from uh, online games, you can game to something like that and you like will be super inspired and super interesting to play because everything there was super good. So this stage of your career, after you took that break, did some of your crypto stuff, you realized crypto maybe didn't engage the mind in the same way poker did for you. So for you right now, like what is it about poker that makes this game so fascinating? You're already playing like as high as you can play. What makes this game still get your mind intrigued and interested and want to put time into it to learn more? Yeah, because I still have a lot of questions when I play. It's like still a lot of things what uh, you can dive deeper, you can think more. And it's super, super interesting. Like after I play it live and meet uh, 
uh, a lot of high stakes guys, it started to be even more, more interesting to play against them because you see how smart are them. And like uh, most of them are younger than me. And it's like, it's funny feeling because I probably one of oldest player who playing a lot now. And in the same time, I started to play poker later than ours. Like most of them playing like 10 plus years, but younger than me. And it's uh, it's making it even more challenging for me because I think like I'm a little bit underdog by a lot of terms, but uh, I think I still can be competitive. Mm. Comes back to this kind of thread line that's been going through of you seeking challenges and you find it interesting to compete against other high level people. So a lot of players might get intimidated when they go to uh, meet other live players and play high stakes games. You realize everyone's really smart. Some of these guys are really young and got a lot of potential. But for you, it's actually the opposite. You're like, all right, this is what I'm this is what I'm made for. And like again, strength you said, high volume in tough lineups. That's what you found out about yourself. So uh, I like that over over time, you've learned to uh, kind of trust yourself, trust your instincts of what you should be doing. And when things are interesting for you, you just go in that line, you go in that direction. So yeah, really, really yeah. great to hear. It's also the thing like uh, when we was talking about dance things and I forgot to say like uh, people uh, asking, uh, seeking for different cues from dance thing. And like for me, it was always just to put more work on. Like if I'm uh, like in every, a lot of people playing more than they run good and play less than they run bad. And like when I run bad, I just put more and more work on myself. Like I play more, I review more, I watch more, I try more. It's like, I think it's not super good because uh, for mental state, better to play when you run good because you like have much more dopamine, you're happier when you play. But uh, as I told, like my driver is Andrew. So <laughs> I, I think it's not super good, but it's it's will be super hard to change myself and I don't want to do it. So I just try I just trying to not feel bad about that. Like I'm not feel, I am not feel bad from that. I, when I have downswings, I'm not like sitting like that and trying to go, oh, fuck, help me. I just, okay, I will fight. I would say it's a very positive character trait. Because if you think about it, like you said, everyone could play a great poker when they're winning. But when things are getting bad, when you're on a downswing, that's very often when people cave they do less they start feeling helpless going into a victim mindset but for you you do the opposite you work a lot harder during downswings so if we play that out over the course of your career every time things got tough and hard you studied more you played more you did you learned more during those times so it's almost like if you look at your growth as a poker player every time things went hard you got better you got better and better so uh, this almost makes you kind of bulletproof going forward because when things get hard you do more you show more obviously when things are going good yes we could argue that you could maximize your ev more by putting in long hours when you're in a good cognitive state but in terms of like growing and improving the fact that you double down when things get hard is a is a great trait a huge huge upside so yeah i definitely wouldn't worry about that i actually say a lot of players need to do the same and work on how to develop that attribute it doesn't always mean during a downswing you play a lot you might actually just deep dive deep into your game and try to improve but at the same time finding ways to work harder when things aren't going well in order to get yourself going in the right direction again so yeah really really good yeah. all right ready but, for so, sorry sorry one, one more thing it's like 
it's uh, what uh, I found out not uh, that long ago, what uh, in a situation like mine, you need to understand what uh, you need to be very focused on your mind because uh, when you work more in downswings, it's uh, your like uh, your passive brain part might start think what you very unlucky because uh, you put a lot of volume when you run bad and like your brain recognize that okay uh, I run bad pretty a lot but it's it's just because you put more pressure on and you you can't ignore it because you will have uh, you might feel your self unhappy if you just uh, ignore that thing but very good point very good point so yeah what you're saying there is when you're on a downswing your vision's a little bit clouded and you can almost assume that you're running bad because things aren't going your way if you put lots of volume in during a downswing you might deceive yourself into thinking that or you might perceive that situation as i'm running bad i'm getting unlucky i can picture having many conversations with poker players who uh, almost feel a bit disheartened by the way things are going they're playing more poker than ever during a downswing but because it, things just feel bad during a downswing they almost magnify their problems and think things are going worse than they are and so yeah, i think it's definitely good to be aware of how your mind's responding to uh that's during a downswing and also like some some players play more volume is the solution other players it's like no like work more in your game but i think the kind of overall kind of theme of put more work in during a downswing try to solve the problem what's going on why is this downswing occurring sometimes that means going internal and reflecting on yourself other times that means working on your strategy other times that's been showing up consistently and being at the tables to uh level out the variance but yeah i think it's very very good to think about the problems that can come up as you're, as you're trying to uh, go through that. Hi guys, Renee aka The Weko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement because we are currently open to receive 10 new players in our Mechanics of Poker coaching program. In our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? And will you take one of the 10 available seats? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and apply for the program. 
and maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. All right, so Renee, for yourself, have you got any peak rock bottom moments? I'm not sure if I've ever asked you this before, but any moments in your career you look back on and go, that was the toughest part of my career? Where do you want to start, Adam? The peak. The peak, the peak rock bottom. I would say the peak rock bottom. I mean, I went broke many times, not many times, maybe that I can now recall of twice. And I thought one of the hardest ones was, and actually this was actually a question that I was also going to ask Victor. So it's a, it's a good question that you asked me. Is like when things were not going my way, went broke, but in the same time, in my case, I was living abroad. Uh, I was living in Brazil. I was married to my wife. I had to take care of my wife. Uh, also financially, as she was just focusing on her studies. So that added a lot of pressure to having to perform well in poker. And obviously when you're trying to play and there's more pressure on it and you're not playing well or you're in a downswing, that's really, that, that's not really a great, how can I say, a great environment to stimulate good performance. And I was wondering uh, how, because Victor has praised his girlfriend for always being on his side, how did she respond to you going broke for the first time? For example, my wife, she's definitely very risk averse. And obviously, as us as poker players, we understand the game a little bit better. We understand that statistically, you know, it's very unlikely, but it can happen. Uh, how did she respond, especially when she's pregnant? And I assumed that she was relying on you for a source of income. How did she respond? And how did you respond um, with the pressure of having to take care of someone? So your poker performance, people are relying on your poker performance where before I was, for example, married, if I would screw up, I would just screw up for myself and that's fine. But now you're suddenly screwing up for both your wife and your future child. How did you cope with that extra pressure or did you feel that extra pressure? <clears throat> yeah, th this time was pretty hard. Like, uh, but I, <clears throat> uh, most fun thing in that, but, uh, my wife, she like, she don't know much about poker. I mean, uh, just uh, last uh, in this year i was or last year i don't remember probably last year i won uh, like uh, EPT in sochi or something like that and this was first time when she watched uh poker uh, tv translation and it was like first time when she recognized what i'm like sort of known somewhere uh, because uh, we don't discuss poker and something like that and uh, when i had hard times uh, i was very stressed <clears throat> i was thinking what i'm failing for my family and for myself uh and uh, like my wife uh, uh, i don't know how to explain it she was like she was stone cold calm she was like i told uh, i talked it to her i told like uh, what i don't know uh what it's super bad what happened and something like that and she she told like okay you will be good anyway like she's like she believes in me much more when i believe in myself or someone believe in myself and uh when i recognize it it's like it's more when someone can give me she just like she just believe me in 100 percent she like she's super sure what uh any bad thing what can happen, I can handle it and I can go through it. 
Yeah, that's I think yeah, that that's that 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 definitely releases the pressure, right? In moments when you're in doubt about yourself, that someone is there to re reconfirm, like, hey, listen, uh, we will be okay. Just you know, to ease your mind, I think is huge because from that from that moment, you know, you can calm yourself down a little bit and actually start to play good poker I, again. I I even was like a little bit mad because I was telling her, okay, I lost a lot of money, we're building house, we have trouble. And she's like, so what? Like, you will make it back. Like, what's the problem? And it was like, I was, okay, like, everything greeted, everything is bad. I don't know what's going on. And like, she was super calm. Like, like she asked me, like, do you think like you can't handle it? Like, yeah, of course I can. Like I will handle it. And, you know, why, why you like Andrew? Why you chill, why you met? All will be good. And I was like, okay, fuck. If Maybe she, she believes it, become a mental game know. coach for poker players. Can I do a session <laughs> with your wife sometimes? Whatever it does me. I I don't think she will believe in uh, anyone. <laughs> she doesn't believe in anyone else. Okay, yeah. okay, good point. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be. That's that loyalty, right? Um, yeah. I'm curious, you were talking about at that phase when you were trying to jump up to like the real high stakes, the nosebleed stakes that you had to, you went through the process of rebuilding your strategy. You mentioned studying for 500 hours. That's quite a lot. Uh, I'm curious, how does rebuilding your strategy look like? And what do you spend 500 hours of studying on? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time I just... <clears throat> Uh, watching different spots on solver. I was trying to watch pretty deep and making notes of uh, what I see there, what I think is working like that. Also, when I uh, saw something weird, I was just trying to make some, uh, how to say it, uh, like some tests uh, when I just put uh, something uh, what can never happen some like extremely small range extremely weird ranges just trying to see how solver uh, changes his mind in some different spots it's like uh i think a lot of players on low stakes and like still have this uh thing uh, in their mind what they must do something they like I, I, you, you might hear this a lot like i must he call this hand because if I'm not calling here, I am ever folded. But like I always telling to these guys, okay, just put to your opponent like range of set plus, and you always have left catcher, and your opponent have only set plus. So they're never called. You you didn't must do anything. You need just to play a spot like it is. And uh, this toy. Oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, remember, it's toy game. It's called toy game. Yes. <clears throat> so mm -hmm. I was doing toy games. I was uh, doing a lot of uh, solder stuff with knots, and uh, also like most of my work now, it's uh, reviews of my opponents. Yeah, I think this is uh, especially important when you reach very small pools and nosebleeds, where everyone already has a certain level of strategical knowledge. Right, everyone has studied the solver, and at some point. The edge that you can gain by get studying even more solver at some point, it's just so minimum compared to if you indeed study certain tendencies of your opponent and come up with uh, more exploitative game plans around it. Or uh, we even had, we had, I think it was JM Big Joe who we had on who was really trying to play attention 
like who's che- who who's a bit tilted this month, right? And how does how does a downswing? You mentioned playing one well a downswing. How do people react? How do their games change when they're in a downswing compared to an upswing, for example? So you kind of know what to expect a bit more. Is this kind of stuff that you're looking for as well? Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, when you review in your opponents, it's like it's pretty interesting because like you see how. So like some mistake on him, you're going to solve or you put in, you see how you might exploit him. But uh, the next thing you do, it's your put your exploits against GTO to see how fragile your new strategy will be. So you, you always need to understand like uh, if your exploit will fall, uh, want it will be worse for you comparing to do nothing. And it's like always like uh, some ways to double check how it will work and it's very interesting and also when you're reviewing opponents like you're doing the same thing you don't just watch on frequencies you're trying to watch on frequencies plus showdowns plus their general strategy to understand how he thinks you don't trying to like okay this guy fall to free bet five percent more than gto so i will free bet him wider no you're just trying to like put yourself in his head. Yeah, it's very interesting. What you were referring there to was kind of you're estimating the risk reward of your exploit. Like how much does my exploit works if it works, but if it backfires, how much does it loses? And does the risk balance out the reward sort of? Yeah. I think it's like it's think what you you must think. You you can't think what your opponents idiots. You like you you can tell them what they are idiots, you can trash talk, but you never need to underestimate them. Have you learned this throughout the hard way? Yes. Could you maybe give an example? Uh, like for first time was when I crashed, uh, no, not crashed, when I lost on 5K, when uh, in like 2017. And uh, when like, uh, I, I see just, couple of it always couple of showdowns you know like for example i was I still playing a lot against yunus and uh like i was think what he's or folding a bit and when like in two sessions in a row he made pretty light calls against me and okay okay it started to like change something yeah at some point also analyzing Especially, it's interesting when you analyze people's games, especially if these players are also analyzing your games, then it's almost becomes more worthy to analyze your game to kind of expect how they're going to play against you instead of you. Because their game is kind of a, a accumulation of exploits that they make versus various players, so they don't really represent anything. Whereas if you think at some point, I did this as well a lot when I was battling high stakes, to be very aware of your own statistics and... If you know that someone is a bit more an exploitive player, you can actually kind of already ahead think of, okay, if I would be playing versus myself, would I be over bluffing in this spot, for example? Like you mentioned that you uh, you tended to be a bit too much of a station, right? You're redlining too much. So you could already think, okay, if I would be playing against myself and this guy is an exploitive player, is he likely to over bluff me? Well, most likely not, right? Yeah, but like, it's also a fun thing because like you can be stationed in different spots. You always need to think about how deep your opponent analyzes you. 
because like for example you can be stationed in most of spots but some spots you have your fault against population and your opponent might see this and you always need to like it's really a lot of levels of yeah, uh, yeah. how deep you can dive no, so yeah, yeah, it's always spending a lot of time to see what people doing against each other and what people doing against you personally. Like uh, there is like a lot of people doing a lot of French researches now in hand to not. It's like super good too. And uh, one day I understood what I, I I don't I don't think I first did this. I but I did French research only through my database. To compare how different uh, reactions in most of spots people doing against each other and against me and I also did like uh, then i did uh, some researches against uh, different type of fields playing to each other and our stuff like that because it's as you told you need to understand how people playing against you against each other against our players and how it affects their stats and their strategy that's that's very interesting indeed like and it's, it's sorry, sorry, it's it's mm -hmm. almost uh, part of answer to Adam's question about why poker is still charming for me, because like still a lot of questions like this. Yeah, because it's not, yeah, it's not necessarily, for example, GTO looks at a spot in isolation uh, in a solver, whereas indeed, if you mix in player profiles and how they perceive certain spots, like, for example, people who study a lot of data, they will have clear uh clear spots where okay on these type of um uh scenarios population tends to over bluff under bluff then if you start to kind of flip your strategy you start to under bluff in the over bluff spot and start to over bluff in the under bluff spots yeah then you get then you get to a whole nother level and you get that indeed like you know certain players make certain reads okay yeah this is at some point when you play against very good players they know okay yeah this is a classic over bluff spot now what do i do you know, I cannot yeah. overbluff because he knows it's a clear overbluff spot, so he's never gonna fold. But then, if he sees you every time giving up, there's like, okay, he's not, he's not, he's not bluffing the classic overbluff spot. And then, then you yeah. get exactly the levels that you were talking about. And this is, I guess, what keeps, what makes you keep coming back. Yeah, this type of meta game flows. It's super interesting. Like it was, I was, I started to notice this when I was grinding Zoom uh, two hundred because it was like, I remember like. Like couple of months, everyone playing with super high seabed. Uh, when people started like uh, people check race, switch it from like eight on the flop to twenty two. Then some people started adding uh, mean free bets on the flop. When people just decided, okay, I just started seabed less, and this like going, like it's like flow. <laughs> it's going in out. People changing strategy and like it's it looks pretty beautiful. It's pretty interesting. What is the you, you're describing like a trend where you see population using strategies and then population is trying to use counter strategies and then another counter strategy is being made, right? And that's kind of the flow that you're describing. What is uh, a current flow that you are experiencing throughout poker this year? Uh, now people, uh, I think people understood pretty good borderline of uh, solver calling hands. So people station pretty well. Like uh, there's a lot of people who call pretty correctly. And uh, also a lot of players under bluffs uh, in most of spots because they, uh, just, uh, they just see what people focus it on calling part. And uh, so you 
like most most of goal of bluffs is uh, to get called wide enough. So people are going to under bluff now, and it's uh, it's uh, funny to see like different players uh, trying to attack different spots. Like uh, no one can play just like super neat. Everyone trying uh, to keep bluff frequencies, but they like splitting it differently, and it's pretty fun because. Uh, uh, it makes some unbalances, but this unbalance is like not super exploitative, but it's uh, uh, very hard for brain because if you want to play uh, better than field, you need to focus on uh, every uh, opponent what you play. Because like everyone in general, if you watch on stats, uh, it might look like everyone playing almost the same game. But mm -hmm. they just have small, small tricks in their pockets, and it's uh, always interesting to try to find it. Yeah, it's what you said, right? Uh, just a stat, just the frequency doesn't really. It doesn't include the texture. It only shows the frequency. It doesn't show the range composition of exactly the frequency in that spot. So, is it too value heavy? Is it too 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 bluff heavy? You know, are you going to be bluffing in spots where no one ever bluffs? Is, is you know, or do you just keep on bluffing in the obvious bluff spots? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's indeed a level. I, I have to say, I did also, if I can say one trend that's different from in the past, that's now is indeed that, that most players that I face station, or at least, you know, the trend is that people are fighting more for pots over the years. Uh, whereas in the past, a couple of years ago, the trend was more that people tend to fold. So aggression was the way to go. Then the pool started to be very aggressive. Then the pool responds yeah. and now everyone starts to become a station. And now you have to kind of find nuances within when do I station? You cannot just be, be a station for the sake of being a station. Is it then also like, I'm, I'm curious in terms of players, what do you think sets, sets a nosebleed rack? Well, let's say, let's say 10K and L plus uh, rack apart from like a 1K to 5K rack, for example. Mm. First one will be discipline, I think. Like discipline to play in uh, <clears throat> in same state for a long time, uh, and also in poker part, it's uh, understanding of ranges, because uh, like people who play lower, they they just uh, count combinations per slower, and they just um, uh, don't understand equity well enough. I think so. They just make and. Uh, they may making like call not because uh, they understand uh, EV of this uh, action, just because they see like okay he probably bluff uh, enough and that's uh, already reason for these players to call. They and they sometimes putting themselves on spots. They're like their bluff catcher not uh, good enough about uh, against range because bluff have high equity or something like that. Uh, they don't um, understand realization of equity pretty well. But uh, for now, a lot of players of 1K and, and L500 uh, pretty well, playing pretty well. And there's like also a big difference between uh, uh, young players who playing these limits and uh, players who play there just because they're stuck and don't want to go further. Because young ones, a lot of young ones, they've been playing pretty well. They just don't roll enough and they just don't experience enough. Maybe they have mental uh, problems uh, 
maybe they just most of them just need time to move to the top yeah there's no uh, there's no shortcut to the top right if you if you if you go faster than you're allowed at some point you will experience something and you will get knocked down kind of what, what you were experiencing right when you were taking the 5k shots i remember also from a from a more from a confidence perspective i feel like you have to grind a certain stake for a certain amount of time and put a win rate for you to confidently say like i belong at this stakes where if you go too fast you might mentally identify yourself as a 500 zoom rack and you're suddenly playing in a 5k game then your confidence at that stake is just too fragile whereas if you start losing a little bit you don't really feel like you belong at that stake yet so you will be forced to move down and like i said yeah the only way is with time, right? Uh, people have to learn to be a bit more humble, as you mentioned. The ego can get in the way. You're like, okay, yeah. you can, you can, you can trash talk people. You have to learn to manage your money. You have to make certain mistakes in order, yeah, to to. to yeah, it's also it's lessons. also de depends pretty hard on personality, like on uh, how you uh, how you recognize poker at all. Like as I told, like for me, it's just uh, an hour game, so. I'm easy to shot, easy to feel myself stupid, easy to understand what I'm not good enough somewhere. And uh, I'm not, I'm not feel myself uh, super stressed when I'm not good enough. Like once I had like birthday and I decided what like best what I can do is give myself 20K to go reward 10k just because it will be interesting like so i just told myself okay you can lose 20k on uh, 10k reward it was like linus me stefan and kluka played something like that and i just i just was super easy i finished it around break even but uh, i already uh, was counting what i left this money on the table and uh, most of the time, it's like that for me. I just, uh, when I play it, playing, I'm just focusing on the game and I don't feel super stressed. And uh, also afterwards, like if I shooting something, I losing, uh, I don't, uh, I don't losing my confidence after this. I cannot, I always like think I, what I will repair this even in hardest times. And some people, for some people, it's just too hard. I like even Dudi, uh, he was on your podcast and he told that for him, it will be super hard to go to higher stakes if, if part uh, path will be harder, but uh, mm -hmm. it just depends on personality. So what are some of the personality traits you think that made you this successful? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe it's it's always like a lot of different pieces. Uh, like some people, people who are around me, like some pretty unhappy childhood, uh, and uh, like a lot of things in my life made me like stoic a bit. So like I'm I'm not focusing on hard times. I mean. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, feeling too much pain. I can say, from some bad things. I just. I can't say what I'm extremely happy. You know, like some people, they're 
like super positive or something or something like that. I'm not super positive in hard times. I just okay, I know it's hard times, but I I just must go through it. And that's all. I'm not trying to show myself more happier when I am or something like that. I just always telling what said said things or happens it's, it's life what what else can I do if, if I will focus on how it's hard or how I am unhappy it uh, can't help me anyhow so I just need to go further and trying to do my best just to keep doing what I'm doing yeah there's a definition of stoicism here you acknowledge you accept the situation for what it is then you realize okay it's only perception how do I how do I handle this situation that's like you know the concept of focus on what is in your control in this case uh, i think throughout this podcast i heard you say many times when it came to adversity and shitty things happening you you said it was fun <laughs> fun thing happened you every time labeled it as fun right and also with the downswing you kind of saw downswing also as like uh, a motivator or as a necessity right to study more in your game so this is what i kind of mean with the perception how do you perceive a downswing? Are you going to try to learn from it? Or are you going to try to use it as motivation, right? In this case, you get angry because you're competitive. You don't want to lose, you know, which, you know, can have its, can have its good side. It can have its dark sides. Uh, but, you know, it, it, does, it does enable you to use a situation like that and actually fuel you and make, give you energy in order to improve. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's a mix of all of this. And uh, I also... Like always, when you watch uh, retrospectively, you understand what uh, almost every bad thing what happened in your life uh, helped you uh, helped you to become stronger. And the uh, main thing it's like to understand in momentum what when you in shit situation, what if you do well, if you don't break, you will be good anyway. So like uh, you just need to accept that it's new challenge, it's new part of your life. Like uh, every second our life is changes. You in new state, and uh, you just need to try to be focused on doing good things. And also, it's like I think it's work uh, in outside world too. You just uh, all you need to do is focus to be good person for yourself and if you're a good person for yourself you will be good for each other for other peoples you might help them you like to help people like i think everyone inside want to help uh, our people be happier because when you see how an hour person smiling it's always good for you yeah you mentioned actually that this was also one of your motivations to come on the podcast you know you try to educate uh, other players share your experience so maybe their road becomes a little bit easier but the main thing that i thought was very interesting that you said i want to help people become happier is this like often when we begin in poker we're just so focused on you know reaching success we want certain things materialistic we want money at what point did you realize in your career like actually the 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 end goal of life is to have a happy day today when did that moment sort of click for you uh, when I understand what I can do things what I love for quite a long, long period of time and it uh, won't affect me in uh, financial part. So like if I want to travel and uh, I can go travel, if I want to play, I will play. And uh, if I want to spend like 
a lot of time with my family and I still won't go broke or something like that. And uh, also when I understand what I can uh, use, like use time how I want to use it. Use time how you want to use it. So it's it's kind of freedom that you're describing. Yes, yes. Be able to do when, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do, whatever you want to do it. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. And also, like, very big part of why I love uh, poker as work, not, not just as game, but as work, it's what you can uh, uh, contact only with people what you like. You, you don't... You don't forced to like be good for your boss or something like that. Uh, you you just can pick up uh, people pretty wisely. You can uh, spend time only with people what uh, interesting for you and what uh, you have you have a really great time with people what around you. Yeah, you don't have to deal with people. My wife, for example, she's an orthodontist and she sees patients all the time. And she sometimes tells me story about people flipping out and stuff. I'm like, okay, very happy I don't deal with deal with people on, on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that's definitely an advantage if you're an online poker player. Yeah, it's like it's a weird feeling because in general, I love people, but it's mostly until I contact them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, like when you hear all these stories from casual work or from some bureaucracy or something like that, and then you're like going to tilt because why you can just do normal things. But uh, on the other way, like I was reflecting a lot about this and I understand like it's super hard to be uh, very happy when you most of the time you forced to do something what you don't want to do, even if you like it. Like if, in, if we talk about poker, someone might love poker, but uh, if you must play something or do something, it's much harder to be happier. And also like uh, poker players have a, a great, great privilege to control their time. So you have some free time to meditate to read something to discuss something with smart persons deeply not small talk but like big conversation and it's uh this thing is like priceless i think it's best what we can have in our life to share experience and uh read something uh, it helps you to understand uh, better what's going on around you like both mechanics of life, uh, life and uh, all of this. Reflecting on uh, your your poker career, what is something that poker, being a poker player, taught you that you did not expect? Mm, in bad or good side? Both. In, in yeah, in bad side, it's uh, emotions uh, like. Biggest uh, trouble after 2020, when I grinded a lot, it was uh, it was super hard for me to feel happiness. I mean, in general, I happy. I, I like how I live in and all this stuff. But I mean, like uh, it was super hard to get happy from random stuff. 
and uh, uh, I break this when we was in uh, uh, Disneyland, and I was watching on my son uh, who was watching show there. So like, like it was great show, and I find myself what people watching on the show, and I just watching on my son reactions, and I was it was big moment of happiness what helped me to start feel ha happiness again and um, good thing about poker it's time of course because you can uh, you can use it much more wisely because you can uh, make your own schedule you can make breaks you like you can even if in, in things like reading when you poker player and you find good book you can stop playing for a couple of days and uh, read this book deep enough. When you're working on normal job, you come after job and uh, you know the state of mind when you like reading something and uh, five pages, you just understand what you don't remember what you just read. You just mm -hmm. too, your brain is too hard. And when you poker player, you can skip these periods because you can just take breaks. And it's like, it's think what I think Everyone is need just some some time for yourself. What whatever you doing, I I think it's big mistake of a lot of people trying to spend all the time correct, try to spend all the time to become better. Like sometimes you can just uh, lean on your bed doing nothing, and it will be the best thing what you can do now. Yeah, and, uh, it, which can sometimes be very counterintuitive, right? If you were trying to progress to a certain goal or you want to get out of a certain situation, doing doing nothing from time to time can make you yes. better, quite restless. But as you have experienced, you know, you there's a certain at some point you need to take a break. You else you will sort of burn yourself out. Um, Adam, I'm 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 curious. Like I think struggles with emotions in general, right? I think in society, men have more trouble with dealing with their emotions than, than women, right? Just as a stereotype, oh, we have to be men, we cannot be emotional. And then poker kind of enhances that even further because you cannot show any of your emotions. That's kind of the, the yeah, the, 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 the status quo of being a poker player. Any, any tips for players how to deal with emotions? Should we let emotions in? Should we close ourselves up for emotions? How do we deal with emotions? Well, I find it very interesting that Victor phrased it as emotions were the bad side, the bad side of the lessons learned through poker. And I feel like a lot of players can relate to that when they start playing for a living and professionally, all of a sudden, all these emotions come to the surface that they haven't experienced throughout their life. Almost like, why am I feeling insecure? Why am I feeling anger? Why am I feeling rage? When they're generally a calm person, all of a sudden, the, the cocktail of the pressure of poker or your identity being uh, being tied to being good at something and poker is just the perfect breeding ground to bring emotions to the surface now the problem most poker players face is they don't want to go through this process of learning to deal with emotions and they want to numb them or push them aside so you end up going through a phase where you try to be quite robotic a lot, a lot of players will and you quite try to numb emotions that's almost like a kettle that's boiling and putting your finger or blocking the top and the kettle's boiling at some point that's going to blow up right emotions when they suppress they're bubbling below the surface and at some point they will explode also when you go down the route of numbing emotion or trying to experience less of it exactly what victor says all of a sudden you struggle to find happiness in small moments so all of a sudden you need something big like winning a big tournament or having your best ever day 
to feel happy. When the little things like watching your child smile or go and have a nice meal with your partner, which used to bring you joy, stops bringing you joy. So now you're in this awful situation where you're like, I want to keep these emotions down, but when I do, I'm not experiencing life as I want to. So then it comes to the kind of the kind of solution to the problem is to allow yourself to experience a wide range of emotions. Now, like Renee touched on, for us men, that's very difficult. We like to suppress. We like to go to the mind. We like to stay away from the heart and anything feeling based and go to the mind and use logic. So I think the kind of biggest gift poker gives a lot of players is to uh, teach you that you have to learn to deal with emotion. All right. Now, We've got a whole cocktail, whole spectrum of what emotions you will go through. But the main thing is to allow yourself to experience them, but at the same time, staying in control. All right. So uh, in the first like, kind of solution to the emotion problem is to uh, map out which emotions you experience, all right? which cocktail of emotions you experience. Some people experience very high end ones, high end ones like tilt and anger, and they're very easy to spot. Others just feel a little bit of agitation or a little bit of insecurity or lack of confidence. So uh, you've got to get a kind of profile of what your emotions are. Then you've got to go internal, all right? You've got to get introspection. So uh, I like that uh, Victor talked about meditation as a kind of tool he used to kind of go into the minds. And meditation is very good for emotions because it creates a bit of space between our thoughts and our experience. So when you meditate for a period of time, all of a sudden you get a bit of space where you can sort of see emotions, all right? Now, emotions have signatures. They're, they feel a certain way in the body. And the mind generally tells you stories about how you're feeling, all right? So uh, as you go through your life, and in particular, you have to get good at experiencing a range of emotions while at the same time staying in control. All right, so the first thing is to build that level of awareness. And the second thing is to allow yourself to experience them. Now, this is the, the hard part. It's almost like a car is going very fast down a motorway and you're holding on the, on the steering wheel. The goal is to be able to experience a wide range of emotions and stay in control. Now, at first, that's very challenging. A lot of players will reach out to me and go, Adam, I've got this tilt episode. I feel really angry when this happens. Anger is a very hard emotion to deal with because that's like a full speed emotion. And very often your logical processing has been shut down. So you're acting very emotionally and reactively. So you've got to build a profile of what emotions you're dealing with. You've got to realize the stories you're telling yourself that are leading to that emotion. And then in a kind of hard to explain way, you've got to get good at like letting the heart express emotion. All right, not suppressing, not numbing, allowing things to come to the surface and allowing yourself to experience emotions. Now, this becomes a challenge because we could argue that being a robot with zero emotion, in theory, could play out better because you would, you would not get any tilt episodes. You could just play the same game over and over. But in terms of being a human and experiencing life, you don't want to go down that route. You want to be allow yourself to experience more emotion. So uh, I say for any players looking to work on this, start to get very comfortable with the emotions you're experiencing. Start to realize what things are leading to those emotions. And it will lead you down a path which will very often lead you to the mind, which is telling you a story about the situation. All right, so uh, the emotion is generally the reaction because the mind doesn't like what's happening. All right, so we're in a situation, I don't like that I've lost. I don't feel comfortable that I'm not winning. So all of a sudden your mind's telling yourself a story about the event, which is leading to this emotion. So you better go into the operating system understand the stories you're telling yourself and allow yourself to feel the emotion while at the same time changing that story narrative all right so if every time i lose at poker i call myself an idiot and i suck and i'm not worthy well that's a very strong story so every time i lose a poker that emotion's going to come to the surface so for me to work on that first of all i've got to realize what is the insecurity coming up what's the emotion and the intensity of it how is that feeling in my body and then i've got to start working on what is this story i'm telling myself is it true is it accurate and i need to start breaking down that story 
if I lose the poker, does that really mean I'm an idiot? No, it doesn't. So you've got to start unraveling the story. So, and there's two avenues. One is understand how it feels in the body and come to come to feel the, the emotion. I think most poker players shut that process off and they go straight to the mind. Now, the mind trying to fix emotions without any feel is very challenging because it's almost like they speak different languages and you can't logic your way through emotions. So uh, I say players who need to learn how to feel emotions, then also learn to get comfortable uh, with the stories that you're telling yourself to uh, kind of work through them. So yeah, I'm interested, Victor, for yourself. So you said emotions were the bad side of the game, but I think for the audience and myself and Rene listening to you, it sounds like you've got a pretty good control right now of your emotional state. You sound very stoic. You sound like you don't have much of your identity attached to your results. So what are some of the things you've had to learn in terms of managing your own emotions in the poker context? Yeah, I think like, as I told my uh, biggest driver is probably Andrew. And it, it's like, it can be told as a path. Like first, I was not even understanding what is my driver and what uh, my, my main emotion. When I recognize what it's uh, anger, I just um, tried to separate it. And I was like, okay, I can trash talk to some people. I was like, I, I was a lot of times I just trash talk to someone when I apologize. I just I trying to explain people what I'm doing. It's not on my purpose, but it's it was helping me to play easier. Like so, when I didn't understand about anger, I was just uh, sometimes when I angry enough, I just played bad. Uh, next step is what I was uh, when I was anger. I still played okay, but I just trashed out. And uh, my final point now, it's when I feel anger, I just go study my opponent to brush him next day. So like for now, uh, I, I understand my anger. I understand my, like what we can say, like bad emotion or something like that. I understand why I have it, uh, how to understand it, how to find it. And I just, uh, when I feel it while I'm playing, I just delay this, delay this to when I go to my work. Mm -hmm. So when I just opening database of my enemy, I like, I mean, I, I mostly use opponent or enemy <laughs> for my friends, <laughs> like in real life. So I just using it like this. And I think it's, it's think what helping me a lot. Perfect. The actual, Pivot application of exactly what I was talking about, where first of all, build awareness of the emotion itself and how it's impacting you. So first of all, you found out that being angry was causing you to play bad, play aggressively. Then you realize that isn't a very um, adaptive response and you need to change that. So then you worked on just trash talking people. And the next step was you have that phase, but then the ultimate phase was to use that same emotional state. So to not try to hide it, to not try and suppress it. When you feel that emotional state of anger, you now work on crushing your opponents. And that makes sense. You've been to the lab and working on it. So you're, you're now fully embodying the emotional experience that you're having, but you're using it in a very adaptive way. And that's the, I think that's the ultimate key because now if you look at, you, a lot of people try to suppress emotions. So what happens is they feel uncomfortable when they when their bodies experience certain emotions. So they try to limit the kind of range of emotions they experience. Where what you've done, you've, you've widened your range of emotions that you can function experiencing. And at times you've got to play around with that. So it's almost like you start with, when I feel heightened emotions, I can I can play well. But there's certain emotional states that cause me to deviate strategy or make mistakes. And over time, you want to bring in more emotional states that allow you to, to play at your best. So uh, yeah, I think with emotions, it's very important to uh, really strip them down to their core essence of what's happening, but also to approach them one by one. Every emotion is different and it has a different kind of end results. So for you, you could see the kind of chain of events that was happening from this and you work backwards and you, over time you built more adaptive strategies that over time, now when you feel that emotion, 
you work it to crush people. That's amazing. So like every time, don't get you angry. It's like Michael Jordan in the last dance. He's like, um, I really like that Netflix documentary. One of the things that I learned from that documentary is do not get Michael Jordan angry because he will crush you. He will use that fuel of anger and he will play the best game of his life. So uh, if you're an opponent playing something like that, you're like, all right, let's just walk on eggshells with Michael Jordan. Do not get him angry. He's provoking you, trying to get you to spark him. And he's going to use that. Where other players would get angry, they'd foul out the game, they'd play really bad and they wouldn't be able to utilize it. So yeah, I really like that you found a way to use a kind of heightened emotion, which most people count as bad, and you use that in a positive way. So I think that wraps up the emotional summary, which is, which is great. Rene, have you got any uh, last questions to wrap us up? Yeah, well, it was funny that you mentioned that because he said, now when I'm angry at someone, I'm going to study him. I'm like, okay, if you play against Victor, probably don't make him angry. Just say every time when he joins the table, now everyone's like, hey, Victor, how's your day going? Lovely to see you. <laughs> everyone's going to treat him like a god. Like... Don't get don't get Victor angry. I don't want him to start studying me. I didn't win that, didn't do anything wrong. Uh, um, the last point I wanted to touch on before before we're gonna close off is you mentioned that you uh, kind of you know I'm curious where you, where you see poker going from here. You you said actually that you don't expect a lot of strategical involvement. If I understood that correctly yeah, in the yeah. game right you think that we have reached the point where it's not gonna you can just take a break for half a year and come back you also mentioned that you started playing some triton events the the high rollers and that really triggered again your passion and your interest for poker uh, i was curious like what are you currently most intrigued by in poker is that indeed like the live poker events where I think we already talked about this uh, off pod as well, where you get to meet like a, a lot of nice people um, where, you know, you play against the best of the best. Is this something that you're looking to do more in the future? Uh, I don't like all, all of this. I can say like for now, I will focus on online because it was, it's a bit funny. I, I don't think it's only because of that, but, uh, I meet Linus a couple of times and I was like a, a little bit trolling him like dude why you don't play are you good are you still good enough and something like that uh, yeah, because like he wasn't grind a lot and I now I understand what he just find passion in our way it's not like because of me but uh now he is grinding a lot and i'm not playing and i feel a bit ashamed because of this because i was trolling him to play and uh now i, I took like break because of moving somewhere so i wanna to uh, play more online and uh feel this pretty interesting now because like there's couple of different crews who work uh, with each other and have different strategy. It's like it's Dutch crew, it's Kruka, Brian, uh, and Kevin. And uh, it's like Austrian crew, it's uh, Daryl, Linus, uh, Marcus, and uh, some other guys. Uh, it's uh, some, it's Russian crew of Avrora and Munus. It's uh, Stefan Ospremi, like separate, we don't work with each other. Uh, a lot uh and it's spanish guys nacho and davy and uh every almost everyone is playing differently and it's very interesting it's, i think my brain will have a lot of hard food say <laughs> it's really, but, it, it's really but, but that's what you like right yeah yeah it's, i think it will be a very interesting time 
and uh, also I want to go for next Triton if it will be in Asia because I'm going to Thailand soon. Yeah, so I'm curious for both uh, online and live. And also, it's uh, as I told, like in hard periods, uh, I always want to focus on work. And uh, it's like hard period for the whole world now. And a lot of people experience a lot of outside stress. And of course, mostly it's people from Ukraine and Russia. And uh, it uh, leads me to put more focus on my work too, because I, I just, uh, I don't wanna, I forgot how it, not, not doom switching. It's like uh, when you always reading bad news because almost every news is bad. And a lot of people just dive into this rabbit hole. And uh, I understood pretty fast what it's very bad idea to do this. So I will just focus on my family, friends, and do my work for now. Yeah, there's. I completely agree. I don't follow follow any type of news because, as you said, it's all very negative. And 99% of the time, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. So then yes. it's like, okay, yeah, okay, thank you for this for, for this news. Now I'm, now I'm just stressing out because the world is fucked, right? And I, compared to in the past, like in the past, people didn't have access to news around the whole world or they might only have access to news within their country or even within their city. Now, if there's nothing going on within your city, they will look at, okay, is something bad happened in your country? No, in the world, okay, we will find something and there's more bad news. And some people like have other views on this. Maybe they think, you know, you shouldn't close yourself off from the world per se. Uh, I personally uh, agree with you. I think it's fine to just uh, close your off. You're not acknowledging that, you know, you're not pretending that the world is a fairy tale, but you don't have to get reminded of all the shit that's happening in the world all the time. That will not make you any happier. Yeah. Um, any, uh, any, any last words that you would like to say to our audience? Anything that you would mm -hmm. still like to discuss that we haven't discussed so far before we wrap it off? No, not much. I think we had great, pretty great conversation and like all what I can say to like if some young players will watch this, it's like try to be happier when you play, like try to focus on feeling uh, good emotions while you're playing. Like feeling negative emotions can be a good weapon in some points. You can turn anger to be more productive or something like that. But uh, if you try to focus on uh, like happy emotions, it will help you to be in the game much longer. If you will be happy from winning pots, happy from good sessions and things like this. So I think it's best, it's best what you can do to improve your uh, living mm -hmm. <clears throat> poker player. Because <clears throat> Uh, I think uh, a not only me, a lot of player who, players who play high stakes, they driving by negative emotions, they like doing through challenges, but uh, you you don't need to be high roller to live happy life. And it's like, it's main part what a lot of players need to recognize, but if you're stuck on some limits, it's not meaning what you're giving up or something like that. It's just uh, your main goal is to live good life. You 
as I told, uh, like when we was talking about solvers, you don't must to call something because like it's GTO and same with life. You don't must to do something because it's uh, like everyone doing this. You didn't must to try to be high stakes wreck because some people did this. You just, you need to reflect more on yourself and try to be happy. Very wise words. Yeah, I think being yeah, actually what, what you said, like acknowledging and accepting any type of current situation that you're in is very important because if you don't like the situation that you're in, if you don't accept the situation that you're in, you will only increase the stress, you will increase a lot of negative emotions, and that can often just spiral and only getting more of the same. Whereas if you're just very happy uh, with with the current, or at least if you're not negative towards the current situation, and if you just try to enjoy the process, often you will experience more emotions and you will sort of attract more positive things happening to you in the future. So it will actually make it way more likely that you will actually uh, end up reaching your goals. Adam, you probably have something to say around this before we close off. This seems like a topic for you. Yes, it's very much in my field of expertise or at least interests. And yeah, I think your emotions have AV to some degree. So when you're in a heightened emotional state, feeling good, you're generally going to play your best poker and have a higher EV as well as a higher enjoyment of the game. In the same time, when you're playing in compromised emotional states, whether that's anger, rage, frustration, you have a lower EV for that session. And like um, Victor was talking about overall, like what is the goal? Like what are we doing this for? And sometimes we get so fixated on the short term of making money, playing certain stakes, that we lose sight of the bigger game to be happy, to live a meaningful life and to enjoy the experience of being a human. So yeah, I think sometimes we've got, we get so zoomed in on a pursuit where reality taking a step back, reflecting and going, why am I doing this? And if ever you find yourself doing something because you feel like you should do it and you're forced against the corner, you need to take a step back and reflect and go in, why am I feeling this way? Why am I putting a gun to my own head and make myself go? I can remove the gun, I can reflect and I can decide I want to do this and move ahead. And if you don't, sometimes that means taking a step back. And I think Victor's story throughout this has been a really good example of not just going one direction and just take a step back, reflecting when you're feeling burnt out or tired from poker, just take a break, take a step back and reflect and realize what you're doing with it. So yeah, I think it's a, a really, really good lesson to uh, put yourself into a good emotional state whilst playing. You can use negative emotions to drive you, but they should be short-term fixes and short-term action steps to drive behavior change. But in the, in the main part, you should learn to enjoy the pursuit of showing up playing poker. And over time, you'll find you play your best in those states and you'll have a much longer career because you're using a, a kind of long-term fuel source of heightened emotions to drive you. So yeah, really, really good uh, kind of lessons there and perfect end to the conversation from my point. Wrapping up another great podcast episode. Thank you a lot, Victor, for sharing all your wisdom. Adam, main takeaways from our conversations with Victor for you? Well, what a great guest. I think he shared a lot of wisdom and his story was very compelling, motivating. And he shared a lot of character traits that I feel like are very useful for any player to develop. And the five character traits I picked out through this episode were his skill of perspective. All right, so he's developed the skill to look at situations both from a long-term perspective, but also how that situation's helping him. He's very objective about planning ahead and seeing how things that are unfolding aren't so detrimental. And this allowed him to 
moved down stakes quite easily without ego. It allowed him to shot take higher stakes when opportunities arose. And he never really lost sight of what he was trying to achieve. And once he, yeah, over time, he learned how to develop that perspective skill to become a better pocket player. Next character trait I picked up from him was resilience. I mean, anyone who listens to this episode and doesn't think this guy's resilient uh, needs to re-listen. Uh, but yeah, just basically any challenge that came up, he found a way for that to make him stronger, to learn from it. And he always rephrased challenges as something that was fun or enjoyable and never really got beaten down by anything that poker threw his way. So any challenge that came up, almost battled hard on him and he came back even stronger. Third character trait I picked up was work ethic. This guy works hard. Like so we talked about 500 hours of redesigning his game. We talked about 70 hour work weeks every single week for a full year. A million hands in 2020 playing 1K plus. That's extreme work ethic. Really, really um, yeah, high level work ethic that he's learned to develop. At the same side, it pushed it. He pushed it too far at times and he burnt out. He had to learn to uh, how to use that work ethic in a good way without burning out and pushing himself too hard. Then the next one, self-awareness. He always seemed to come back to uh, try to understand himself better. I found it very interesting when he talked about poker being a strategy game at first. And over time, he realized he had a lot of mental leaks that he was ignoring. And he had the self-awareness enough to seek coaches, seek advice in order to uh, find out basically what was holding him back. He also found out a very big strength of his, which is to play high volume in tough lineups. Now, for most players, that's suicide. Playing high volume in tough lineups, for most players, you're going to go broke. But for him... That's what brings him alive. That's what he enjoys. That's why he still plays poker today because he wants to be in those tough lineups to challenge himself to learn and get better. And the final character trait I picked up was discipline. And he phrased discipline as doing the same things consistently over and over, even when it gets boring. So what came to mind for me at the start of the conversation was when he was talking about most people get good at something and then they stop learning the cap out, he said, because the, the, the amount of effort to put in to get a slightly bit better becomes exponentially harder. So this is called the law of diminished returns. So if I'm going to learn a new skill, whether it's poker or something else, you get a big increase, like a spike up, like, like zero to 80% is very quick, like maybe six months to a year. But then that final 20% can take a lifetime. So the pace of improving, the pace of learning is a lot harder. So uh, you don't get the immediate gratification. You don't get to see yourself getting better in big chunks like you do at start. So now you've got to learn to be consistent and almost do the same things over and over for a smaller and smaller return in terms of getting better. So uh, yeah, I think those character traits really shone through. Really enjoyed the conversation. I think he's a yeah really high level thinker in many situations. And yeah, he's hopefully shared some wisdom that you guys as the audience can relate to and take on board going forward. How about for yourself, Randy? What were some of the main things that you took away from this conversation? Yeah, like like all other other guests, these characteristic traits, you know, this is not a coincidence. We see a returning pattern, right? Uh, he also mentioned, again, surrounding himself with the right people. He said that he was lucky to have the right coaches that gave him the right mentality. You know, he started with his coaching football, then the people that he surrounded himself uh, with in like the internet cafes. Then he ran into uh, Stefan. He ran into, I think it was Invoker, if I'm not mistaken. So always looking for people. When he started to get troubles with his mental game, he hired the psychotherapist to better understand what's going on. And in all situations, he acknowledged that the situation was shit. He accepted it, and from there he just he didn't spend much time on like, oh look, I'm, I'm such I'm in a, I'm in a bad situation. He he never had a victim mentality, right? He also said, yeah, you know, this is just how I grew up, where I'm from. Life is hard, deal with it, right? And yeah, kind of kind of the yeah, what doesn't kill you make you stronger mentality was definitely uh, was definitely installed. Him, him. I also wrote down, don't make him, make him angry because then he will start studying you and, and try to beat you. Don't get in on his anger side, okay? Everyone from now on, be very nice to Mr. Victor if you play against him. 
uh, again, a trend that comes back from a technical perspective. Let go of what you have to do, right? Uh, have a more curious approach towards studying solvers. Why does it do certain things? Try to understand the mechanics. He mentioned that it's very important to, for example, use the program called Flopzilla in which you can just build uh, ranges and see range distributions, uh, how equities favor on a certain board. And in that process, because you know a solver basically already did everything for you, but in that process, he says you learn things and that actually makes you stick. And if you learn to understand like certain range constructions or certain equity versus equity, what kind of consequences, consequences that would have to a strategy, you would start to see patterns which become like sort of the mechanics behind strategies. And you can then translate that to other spots that you haven't studied, okay? This is actually what we explain in our coaching program as well. That's why we call it the mechanics of poker, right? It's built around certain mechanics and they come back in every spot. Learn the mechanics and you can basically play every spot, okay? And he also indeed talked about uh, how certain things in a solver or motivations behind the solver, right? He said, yeah, we bluff because our value needs to get paid. If you have a range that doesn't include bluffs in a solver or not enough bluffs, you don't get paid off, so your value suffers. And it's the same with, no, you don't have to call here. Understand that you usually only call to make sure your opponent cannot start over bluffing you. So you basically call for realization. And there's many things around solvers that people copy, but that don't actually apply in the real world. Actually, in our update, I made a whole chapter. I think it took two hours. It's called Solver World versus Reality, where I explained all the reasons behind the, the strategies of solvers, not necessarily from a mechanics point of view, but more like why certain things are very important, like indeed bluffing, like indeed bluff catching, like balancing, like you know, all these type of things. And then we're gonna reflect on how this actually applies in the real world. So if you're interested in that reminder, uh, applications for our Mechanics of Poker 2.0 are now open, okay? there's We're taking on around 10 students. So if you think you have what it takes to master the Mechanics of Poker, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and apply. And then we'll review your application and see if you're the right fit for our program, okay? I want to thank everyone. I want to thank my co-host, Adam, for providing all his knowledge again. He went on some good rambles about emotions today. I think it was very good stuff. Very Definitely worth listening back to that uh, as I think it's a struggle point for most players. Um, yeah, most men as we discussed. I want to thank the audience again for tuning in. Make sure to leave a comment if you liked the episode. Leave your main takeaways how this podcast is going to help you in your career. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple, leave a five-star review, leave a follow, etc., etc., etc. It's really good for growing the pot. And that's going to be it for us and see you in the next episode. 